Hi, this is Mark Scheffler, Jr. from Last House on the Left, and you're listening to Without Your Head. to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And we're joined by Jamie Bernadette. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Maria Olson. Hi, everyone. Hello. Recurring Maria Olson. And the returning Camille Keaton. Nice. Hello there. <laughs> right. All of I spit on your grave deja vu. So it's very cool to have all three of you here at once. Great to be here. Thank, Thank you. Welcome to the show. Yeah. So, uh, uh, first of all, uh, Jamie, how did you get involved in playing Camille's daughter? Uh, well, I, I submitted for the role, actually, online. Um, I knew the original film. I had seen it. So, But with the role description, I thought, there's no way I'm going to get this. So, I just kind of submitted a, a joke. And then I got asked for a tape. And then I sent in a tape. And then I got asked to go to a callback, and I remember thinking, if I meet Mayor Zarki, I'm good, you know, because right. I still did not think I was going to get this role, and then I went in to the callback, and I met Mayor, and I was happy, and callback went pretty well, and then they called me in a third time, and I was in a five-hour callback where I read with a whole bunch of different actors, actresses, including Maria Olsen, and um, gave my input, actually, on on the uh, remaining roles, though they had not told me that I had the role yet. So at that time, was Maria, Maria, were you already cast as as the villain? Oh, no, it would be still months and months before I was um, officially cast in that role. 
Yeah, it was a long, long casting process. Very long, the longest I've had. Yeah, me too. So why why didn't why didn't you think you'd get the role, Jamie? Was it just because you know it is uh, you know an iconic horror movie or? No, the role was like supermodel. <laughs> I was like, that's just not me. I'm not like a Victoria's Secret supermodel type. I, you know, I know where I fit in, and and um, yeah, even even filming when I tried to get there, I said, can you know, we changed that line where I'm, you know, Camille Jennifer Hills is telling me, oh my supermodel daughter and biggest model in the world, and I was like, Mayor, can we please like change that to just model and. He's like, no, well, you're her daughter, and she thinks that you're the biggest, and I, I don't know. So I really was uneasy with that part of it. I just, I don't know. I just don't think of myself that way, and I thought there's so many beautiful women, you know, that are real supermodels that could have this. So I just never, that's why I didn't think I would, I would ever get it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that you're humble. <laughs> I think you look like a beautiful model. Right, yeah. But I guess keeping the line <laughs> that uh, Camille, did you have any say like um who who got to play your daughter or anyone in the movie? No yeah. did you feel that you and jamie had uh had chemistry right away? Yes, yeah, I, that was part of the best part of making the film Deja Vu was working with Maria and Jamie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria, like, because um, your character is a villain of the movie, but also, you know, in your mind, what you're doing, especially at the beginning, you know, is uh, is warranted. So uh, is that in, when you're, when you're playing the character, is uh, do you think of that? And is that also part of the reason that you were interested in the character? Um, yes, actually, um, to both of your questions, um, I had to keep the thought in my mind when I was doing those scenes that she is right. I couldn't go into situations that Becky was going into thinking that what I'm doing and what she's doing is wrong. Um, that just would not have worked for me. I had to believe in what she was doing with like my whole head and my whole heart. Um, um, and and that's pretty much how I approach the character. And to be completely honest, I've forgotten what your second question was. Uh, what in, what is that uh, part of the reason you were interested in the character? Um, for my audition, um, I got the very very powerful scene to do, where she says things like, "My hands are dirty, but I'm God fearing, and I pay my taxes, and I'm honest, and things like that." So right from the get go, I was confronted with a character who's belief in herself as an upstanding, righteous, God-fearing, honest person is super strong. And I knew she was going to be in all these horrible situations doing horrible things. And that, um, that contrast really interested me. And I wanted to find a way to play that contrast convincingly so that both sides of her, the good side versus the bad side, could be seen, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jamie, um, what was it like to to work with Camille and and Maria? So Camille is your is your mom, and, uh, and Maria is the villain. Oh my gosh, this was amazing! I mean, it was surreal meeting and working with Camille because I did love the original so much, and it was funny. We just connected immediately. It, it was just 
I don't know. We were so comfortable together. Um, and then, yeah, Maria and I, I mean, I knew Maria before. Um, and, uh, but th- this is really where we became really close was on this film. So, and I consider her, you know, one of my best friends at this point. And that's from the time we spent on Deja Vu together. So just, it was great working with both of them. It was a dream. Thank you. Uh, so, so Camille, when did you know that they wanted to make uh, Deja Vu? Like, when was it talked about that they want to do a, a direct sequel to the original movie? Oh, I would say uh, about a couple of months before. Mm-hmm. It, were they you on, Were you like uh, interested right away with the idea of, of uh, reprising the character? Well, I had been trying to get Mayor to do a sequel for about 30 years, uh-huh. and I finally gave up. So um, I was really surprised when I got that call, and I said, you are going to do a sequel? So I spit on your grave, and he yeah. said yes. And so I said, well, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were your, were your ideas of wanting to do a sequel, like a, uh, were, they, were they similar at all to, to the movie made? No, I had something, some other ideas, but um, I'm the actor. I'm not the uh, the writer sure. or producer. Yeah, yeah. But, but still, I would think you know it's uh, the character you're uh, you're connected to, so you'd have some ideas like where you know where you would go with uh, if you would ever take on the role again. Yeah, I did. Uh, Maria, were you a? I'm, I'm sure you've seen the original one, but uh, were you a fan of the original one? And like, did you go back and watch it again uh, to prepare for the movie? Um, yeah, actually, I had seen it about four years before I auditioned, um, and as soon as I got the role, I actually went back and watched parts of it, not all of it, because to watch all of it would have opened Becky up to. Camille's to Jennifer's version of the story and I purposely kept away from doing that I just watched the scenes with with Johnny and and the and the boys especially Matthew um, because that 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 fueled Becky's understanding of the situation and her righteous anger um, so I did watch it in pre- in preparation for shooting but only selective parts of it yeah I thought it was interesting too that there's a they picked a, a female character for the uh, for the villain in in, uh, in Deja Vu. Well, the original is called Day of the Woman, so here we all are. Yeah, that's very <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, uh, uh, Jamie, um, you said you were already a fan of the original. Was it like uh, one of your favorite horror movies, or like how connected to it were you? Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's just so raw and real. It's nothing about that entire film feels fake at all or glamorized. It's just in your face, the dark side of humanity. And I thought that was so incredibly powerful. One of the most powerful films I've ever seen. So going in, like, so you know, it's great to play, uh, to be in a movie that you like, the sequel to it. And uh, to play with Camille, but you also have to know that there's going to be like a lot of hard scenes to shoot. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, how do you prepare for for a role like that? 
Well, I mean, my preparation started months and months in advance. Um, I watched the original several times. I researched um, gang rape, um, personal stories from victims. I watched like on YouTube and read stories, learned statistics. I learned all kinds of things. Um, so it was a lot of sleepless nights, let me tell you, filling yeah. your mind with that day in and day out. So that's how I began to prepare for something like this is just to understand, you know, going through something that traumatic, um, what that does to you mentally, physically, emotionally. So even, you know, doing that preparation, like when you actually, when it comes time to actually film it, like, uh, well, you know, what's that experience like? Well, I know like, um, the rape week, which what we called it, cause it was four days of rape you know it was very hard it was you know hard on the cast it was hard on the crew you know I had a couple of um people come to me crying saying they know someone's been raped and I mean it was a very emotional week for everyone it's it's not easy stuff to film Mm -hmm. Uh, how about for you Maria to film those scenes Well, I wasn't involved in a lot of those scenes. You know, I only come in at the tail end, sort of, um, when the entire gang is together and um, Christy, Jamie's character, just sort of walks off in the distance. Um, So I wasn't really involved in the shooting of them. I was on the periphery and I, you know, I could see how upset Jamie was, for instance, when she came back to the trailer. Um, I wasn't even on set for the shooting of those scenes. I was either in my trailer or not even there at all. Um, but I could see how much it affected Jamie. And that yeah. was, yeah. yeah, that wasn't nice to see, you know. Sure. But there are things we need, need we have to do if mm-hmm. we accept roles like that. And we just have to power them through, you know. Mm-hmm. And it comes through in, in the movie. Uh- uh, Camille, is there any uh, similarities between you and, and the character this time? Because uh, your character has spent all these years talking about uh, the real instance, you know, in the movie. And then uh, you mm-hmm. yourself have spent all this time, you're talking about the movie. You know, years later, you're still you're doing interviews about the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, you kind of play off of that, like your real life experience of, you know, uh, still talk about a movie you did, you know, uh, you know, decades ago. And then uh, your character's sort of similar, even though, you know, but the character, it's a real experience. Well, the character just, uh, it's basically the same character, but older. Mm-hmm. I won't say by how many years, you probably know <laughs> that already. Right. <laughs> you don't look and, um Oh, well, thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, I mean, I I was looking forward to doing it, and I um, I enjoyed doing the role. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, one of the interesting themes of the movie is uh, like the cycle. It's a cycle of revenge. Uh, you know, your character in the original movies uh, revenge, and then now the uh, the descendants of uh, people you got revenge against are getting revenge, and then more revenge later on. So it's like a never ending cycle. So it's not you know really no good comes of that. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I thought it was an interesting part of the movie. Anyone want to uh, talk about that kind of the? Uh, it's almost like a fam- like an old family feud where this is going to go on forever. It seems. 
Yeah, I mean, it's set up at the end almost um, for the siblings to be against each other, Christy and my two kids, who don't even know Christy exists. You know, um, if ever the story moves on, that I think should be the backbone of the next installment. And um, as you said, it just carries on and on and on. There's no end because I think it reflects the fact that there is never any change in basic human nature, and that yeah. in itself is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, now, I've had Camille on before, and we always would talk about uh, about the movie Deja Vu, uh, and because it seemed like you guys uh, filmed it a while ago, I guess, and uh, you know there was, uh, I guess, the editing and everything. So, Jamie, like, uh, was that hard to deal with that you filmed something a while ago and it took it took a while for it to actually be released? Uh, I mean, it happens a lot in our business. Yeah. You know, so um, it's just kind of That's expected, true. to be honest. Like, we get used to that stuff, for sure, <laughs> as actors. So. Yeah. So, uh, um, when you... When you uh, when you finally when you finally see the finished uh, movie, what did you think of it? Um, I mean, I thought it was very unique. Um, you know, very paying attention to any inside the box thinking, any rules. He told the story he wanted to tell and the way he wanted to tell it. I thought all the characters were really interesting. There was nothing boring about it. Um, yeah, I thought it was very innovative and um, and, and might even inspire um, filmmakers to to go down paths that they wouldn't want to dare go down. I, I feel like so many films now, it's just it's the same pattern over and over. Like by 30 minutes in, you have your first kill. And, you know, like certain things have to happen. It has to be a certain length. And all these these, you know, quote-unquote rules someone invented that's fixating filmmakers to make the same thing over and over. So I thought it was very unique. I was very happy with it. You mentioned it's not boring, and I don't think it is either. And going in, I was surprised the run, because it is a long movie. It's like two hour, over two hours. Uh, were you surprised by mm-hmm. by the runtime? And then when you watch it, I don't think you, it, you really notice it. I mean, yeah, I think we were all surprised. You know, because horror films usually aren't that long, but, you know, it's like we respected Mayer and what he wanted, and it's his story and it's his legacy, really, so. Now, Maria, what did you think of the finished movie? Um, before I answer that, I'm just going to say, um, okay, Deja Vu comes in at, I think, two hours and 28 minutes. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've seen Suspiria coming in at... Uh, comparable time now we've got midsummer coming in at almost the same time so what were we at the crest of some new wave in horror where we see the horror epics back i mean that's interesting yeah. you know that's a good point. good point i'm like i'm actually probably gonna go see midsummer again uh, tomorrow i saw it last week and uh, long movies don't bother me as long as you know as long as they're good kind of like what yeah, jamie absolutely. said whatever it takes to tell a story right exactly um now, when I, I watched the film twice, once when it was just a rough cut and then once a few days before its release because I wasn't able to attend the actual premiere. Um, and I found that something very interesting happened to me in the meanwhile. When I watched it the first time, the rough cut, I was still in Becky's headspace. 
So I was interpreting things like she would almost. Mm -hmm. But when I watched it just before the premiere, I was very distant from Becky. So I reacted as myself. And the scenes like um, that incredibly personal scene between Camille and I that I won't be talking about because spoilers, um, that scene completely blindsided me and I I started crying because what what happened to Jennifer Hills mm-hmm. it was just seeing the story from a completely different perspective that I was used to and there are certain things in that film that just blew me away and that was one of them and it was just a very intense and emotional experience to, to see it being completely divorced from the role that I played in it you know yeah, that's interesting. Is it? Uh, do you always watch movies like? Because I was interested, like uh, from actors, if you watch a movie you're in, can you watch it as a movie, or do you watch it as like uh, kind of memories of, of filming the movie? Um, it's a bit of both, I think, for me. I just noticed a very big difference in that one because I saw yeah. it twice. Um, but I don't think I will ever be able to watch myself on screen without being. Um, uh, without without criticizing myself in some way. So it, it does detract a little bit from my seeing it just as a film because it does become personal to me. Like, oh, I look stupid in that dress or whatever the hell it is that I'm thinking, you know? Yeah. Uh, how about you, Jamie? Because obviously there's really uh, brutal scenes with, with you and to, to watch yourself on the big screen during those scenes, is, is that hard to, to watch? Uh, it's not hard to watch, but I mean, I'm very critical of myself as well. And I really don't like to watch myself, but if, you know, enough time has passed, it's funny. I'll, I'll, I almost feel like it's not me. It's strange because I'm so removed from it after so much time. Mm -hmm. When you said you were like studying, um, you know, gang rapes and, and people who, who go through this. Um, how much of like certain things you do were in the script and were just kind of things you did on set, like you're crawling away and you're trying to pick up like shreds of clothes to cover yourself up with? Like, is that all like in the script or is that stuff like you're doing while you're in the character? Um, I mean, not everything you do is always in the script. Definitely not, you know, because you're thinking in the moment and you're you're acting how you you would in the moment. You know, I try to really put myself there as as that person and and what I would do. So I'm not married to the script at all if it when it says action and stuff like that. But as far as the dialogue, I mean, Mayor wanted us pretty word for word, so that's pretty pretty word for word throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, Camille, what did you think when you saw the finished movie? Well, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and I criticize myself, too. I, sure. I think, well, I could have said that differently or done that differently. Um, I think a lot of actors do. And I could have looked a different way, you know. But... Um, were, were you at the premiere? Yes, I was. Okay. So what, what was uh, what was the... What was it like at the premiere itself? Not even just seeing the movie, but, uh, you know, this uh, a role that is uh, important to you. It's, like, uh, personal to you. And 
uh, now you make the sequels out and you're at the premiere, everyone's going to see it. What's that experience like? It was fun, you know, except, well, I had to wear high heels. But, um, <laughs> other right. than that, it was, it was fun <laughs> and seeing people and, uh, um, there was, um, a young lady there and I can't think of her name now. She was in one of the, I spit on their graves. Mm-hmm. She's in a picture with me and Jamie. Okay. Sarah Butler. Uh, Sarah Butler. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it was nice to see her again. I had met her before. Um, and just get kind of like all caught up in all the, uh, Oh, everybody's excited. Everybody's excited. Yeah, yeah. So this that was has... before the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How about when you're actually watching the movie? Uh, what's that experience like? Because you're up there on the screen and everyone's there watching it. Well, I was sitting between uh, Mayor mm-hmm. and my agent, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I. I was watching the movie and I'm thinking, um, hmm, I wonder what they think. You know, yeah. uh, I I didn't have to worry about what Mayor thought because yeah, he's made You it. know, he, he did the movie. Right. But I was wondering, what does my agent think? What does my manager think? And um, and I was uh, I was pleasantly. Uh, right. How do you say it? I would. I, I liked it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, I didn't like the part where they were holding my head up and where <laughs> Becky was holding my head up in the air. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. It's probably shocking to see on the <laughs> when you were in Yes, the, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I kind of liked um, the um, grave scene. I was in the the grave twice. Mm-hmm. One time I was, the first time I was hiding, the second time, well, I can't go there, but um, that was interesting. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Maria, um, so you weren't at the premiere. Um, uh, did you ever see it with an audience or did you watch it like uh, at home? Um, I watched it with Jamie and Terry Zarki, our producer, um, at, in Terry's studio. Um, I have never seen it with an audience, um, and I really hope I haven't lost my chance to do that because I would love to see it with an audience. Yeah, definitely. Now you talked about being in the headset of of your character. Uh, we watched it the first time. So, what was it like to actually play the character? Was it because I I would assume sometimes it's fun to play a villain, but was uh, this role different? Um, it depends what kind of villain you're playing. Um, I often play, for instance, non-human characters, and they're usually, like, super fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But Becky's rage comes from a place of pain um, and irreparable loss to her. So playing her, I don't think, could ever be classed as fun. Mm -hmm. Um, There was just so much emotional baggage that she was carrying around with her all of the time, just all of the time. And, of course, once my head's in the character space had pretty much stays there. Um, so it was a very powerful role and it empowered me, but I don't think I would, I would, I would class it as fun. 
Yeah. No, no, I I didn't assume so. But I was just you know comparing yeah. to other roles when you play you know villains and other things. But yeah, I, you know some are because it's just like grr, arr, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would think the sub, yes subject matter would change. Yeah. You know the the mom in Trophy Heads, for instance, is also a villain or at least a villain enabling role, and that was so much fun. Oh my gosh, that was fun. <laughs> but there wasn't any emotional you know, huge bag she was carrying around. So I think that's the difference, the level of emotion I need to bring to something. Yeah. Now, uh, Jamie, are you a horror movie fan? Oh, yeah, definitely, since I've been a child. Okay. So what were some of the ones that, uh, what are some of your favorite horror movies? I love the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know why, I was just obsessed with that as a child. You know, they'd play it on TV and, um, I probably watched it 40 to 50 times. I knew all the lines. I would play Nancy and then I'd make my friend come over and she would play Tina and we'd, I'd make us like make her act the scenes out. <laughs> so I just always, always loved it. Yeah. Always wanted to be a star of horror films and it's crazy. Here I am. I don't yeah. know how these things happen. <laughs> yeah. what, 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 was it horror movie specifically that made you want to be an actor? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, gosh. I mean, I remember having thoughts about acting at age five years old. You know, like I remember watching TV and be like, oh, why couldn't I have had that role? So it was always in my head. Or I remember like our neighbors took photos of us because we and I really, really wanted those pictures because we didn't have any photos. Like my mom didn't even have a camera. It was it was limited means how I grew up. And um, I remember really wanting to get those photos from the neighbor because I thought, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be an actress one day and people want to see what I looked like when I was little. Uh-huh. Weird thoughts like that I distinctly remember having. So it's just something I always wanted to do. I don't know that there was any one film that went, oh, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's interesting about the photos because I think about sometimes because I don't have many photos from when I was a kid or a teenager or even my 20s. But now since everyone mm-hmm. has a phone, like I have tons of photos of like anything that's ever happened in like the last <laughs> you know seven years. You can... Very true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, man, I, I probably exactly. would have had a lot of uh, pet photos and stuff from when I was a kid, but unfortunately, I do not. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I ever asked you, Camille. Are, are you? Um, what kind of movies do you like? Do you watch like horror movies when you're not in them? Yeah, I do. Um, one of my favorite movies. I, I guess it could be com- classified as a horror movie. I don't know. It was Clockwork Orange? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I don't. That's one that doesn't really necessarily fit in any uh, category, but it's definitely. I guess what people yeah. say a genre film. I love that film. Yeah, it's great. Was, were there any anything that motivated you to become an actor? Uh, yes, when I was playing paper dolls growing up, before I was even in the first grade. Uh, we could play with paper dolls that were Dar's Day and um, real actors. And so they put a stop to that um, and made it illegal. But um, I thought, oh, they get to wear all these beautiful dresses that I was cutting out, you know, and putting on the paper doll. I think I want to do this when I grow up. Yeah. 
You got six. Hmm. <laughs> How about, uh, and we might have asked before, Maria, on the last time we were on, but uh, were you a horror movie fan uh, before you uh, became an actor? Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember discussing like Dracula movies with my mom when I was very, very young, maybe even under 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, she loved horror too. So I always have, I think I inherited that love from just watching her um, enjoy the genre. Um, and I'm not saying I watch it exclusively, but I do have to myself to watch outside the genre just to open myself to other film experiences. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how, I didn't ask you, uh, what was it, what was Mayor like uh, working with him as the director? And he, had you ever met him before? Um, no, I had not met him prior to the callback. Um, he was amazing. He's... <laughs> He's awesome. My best memory of Mayer on set is when at lunchtime we used to sit down next to each other and we used to sing songs from musicals that I knew from growing up or when I was acting in musicals like, I don't know, South Pacific or Oklahoma or whatever it was because we both knew the songs and we just would start singing and the other one would join in. In the midst of all this like terrible angsty stuff that's happening on set here we are singing Oklahoma or something it's very funny (laughs) Uh, how how physically demanding was uh, was deja vu to uh, to film Jamie Um, oh my gosh (laughs) it was extremely physically demanding (laughs) yeah they're emotionally demanding Mm -hmm. well actually which is harder to uh, to deal with I could relax I could relax a little huh which is harder to deal with, uh, the physical demands of, of a film role or uh, the uh, the psychological? Psychological, definitely. I can do physical all day. I mean, I've done a lot of um, stunt choreography, like martial arts fighting and stuff like that. I played a, a martial artist, and I've done a lot of that, a lot of fighting, you know, um, stuff like that, like how I had to fall into the grave and, and that's a stunt, you know. I had to dive in there and land on my belly and so, yeah, I mean that I can do all day, but the emotional stuff that takes way more out of you, way more out of you. I mean, after an emotional day, crying all day, you are exhausted beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria talked about being in the, the mental uh, um, mental space for the character. So, um, does that affect you, like, uh, during that period when, when you're p- playing this role? You said, you know, if it's, like, a day where you're crying all day. But, like, h- how long does that stay with you? Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends. Um, it can be quite a while, you know, um, where you just kind of, or I get into, like, sort of like a depression, you know. But, I mean, I don't carry it around for a week after the movie's done or anything sure. like that. But, I mean, I... I had a film where I had to cry and my husband was dying and I literally was sobbing when we were done with that scene. It was uncontrollable and it went on and <laughs> during the scene and then afterwards I probably cried for two straight hours. I mean, it's, it can get, it's, it, you know, the stuff you have to pull up or, or I do anyway, my different methods that I use can put me in very dark places, but I choose to do it for my art. You know, I've had heard some actors say, don't do that. Don't pull stuff up from your past. You don't want to do that. But for me, if it's working on that particular day, 
I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get there emotionally, despite the repercussions it may have on me, because I'm going to get over it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Maria, did you have any say on your wardrobe in the movie? (laughs) Uh, This and no. Um, Mayor told me what what it was going to be, sort of. And I, I, I have some pictures actually of, of sending him the look in the tank top and the camo pants, um, and some shoes. Um, but when it came to the actual specific pieces of the outfit, um, no, I didn't have a say in choosing them. Um, I did go and buy my own boots though. Um, that happened. I was at a, I think army reserve store or something like that. And I found a pair of boots there that fit me. Because um, I've got very tiny feet, so it's, it's got to okay. be a small size. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I um, gave the boots to Mayor after we wrapped. So he's got the entire outfit except for the little red rag, which I kept. Ha, 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 ha. Do you keep anything from, uh, from your other movies? Me? Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple pieces. Um, I have the... Um, Bloodstained nurse's cap from one of my first films, Shelter. I have a picture from, oh gosh, A Gothic Tale, which will never be released because Hollywood. Um, and I have a couple other things, like my bloodstained shoes from um, uh, Kentucky Fried Zombie, also known as Diner. Get it? So uh-huh. I have a couple, yeah. yeah that's cool. And how about for you? Was, uh, was the movie uh, physically, was it a physically demanding shoot? Um, yeah, it was. Um, I'm exactly the opposite to Jamie. Physical for me sometimes can be hard um, because I have ankles that like um, twist easily and I fall over shadows and stuff like that. Um, so tracing through woods in army boots can sometimes be taxing for me, but the emotional stuff I can turn on whenever I want to. Um, so that's <laughs> one of my favorite stories. My um, death scene, if you think I died, which sometimes I don't, in Deja Vu, um, <laughs> I had a stunt pad on my back, and um, my co-star in the scene, not Jamie, um, was supposed to hit on the back, on top of the stunt pad with this fake rock, and every time the stunt pad was missed and I got hit on the back, I got this oh, huge no. bruise. Yeah, oh, huge no. Yeah, and I'm like, whatever, just, just, we have to do this for the scene, let's make it good, so people believe it, bruises go, it's fine, just carry on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, black yeah. and, he was black and blue, like, <laughs> black and blue. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, uh, uh, Camille, was, uh, was this role uh, physically demanding for you? I know the original movie was. Yeah, the original movie was. This uh, movie wasn't. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, do you interact a lot with Mayor still? Like, because uh, you said he emailed you that you know he wants to do a sequel. Like, you still? Uh, yeah, I talk to him from time to time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Has your has your view of the original movie ever changed? Like, um, um, were you always like? Did you always like to talk about I Spit on Your Grave? Uh, no, I did not. It wasn't until a girl came up to me at a convention and for half an hour she talked to me and she was crying and she said, you have no idea what 
I spit on your grave meant to me. She had been through something similar, and I realized it had uh, redeeming redeeming value to it. And when I after I spoke to her, I began to um, appreciate the movie more, a lot more. Yeah, that's good. Well, has her um, uh, since Deja Vu came out? Um, I guess maybe it's a little too early yet, but. Uh, what kind of uh, reaction have have you gotten from from fans? What kind of reaction have I had? Yeah, mm, haven't I? I live in Florida, right? Um, so, so a lot of your neighbors probably haven't seen it. Yeah, you know, it's like um, nobody has said anything to me about the movie. Uh huh. No, no problem. How about you, Jamie? What's uh, the feedback been uh, for you? It's been fantastic. I mean, I've gotten tons of fan mail, and they're so nice. And some I've screenshotted it, and I'll repost and thank them. And but yeah, I mean, it's it's been incredible. Actually, it was shocking to me. Really, <laughs> I was. <laughs> Because that's so critical of myself. I'm like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it was, it's been very nice, you know, to, to hear. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, being a, a horror movie fan since you were a kid. Um, were your parents uh, cool if you watched horror movies? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom loved horror movies. Like, we would watch Psycho together. That's and, one of my favorites. You know, she loved, yeah, she oh, loved yeah. Alfred Hitchcock. So yeah, we would watch the birds. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, when you started doing the horror movies, uh, do they watch your movies and uh, or did she watch your movies and what what did she think of them? No, she can only see movies that are completely clean. Right. Yeah, like I I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. So any film that has any nudity or anything like that, I don't want to get into all the lists, but <laughs> there's right. a lot of lists that <laughs> you cannot uh-huh. see. Um, so, yeah, she hasn't seen much, to be honest. I mean, I have a film coming out, The Furnace, a faith-based movie. It's a drama, heart-wrenching drama, beautiful film. I'm like, yes! A movie my mom can see, <laughs> uh-huh. and she doesn't have the internet, thank goodness. My sister got her a computer, but she mailed it back to her. She said, what yeah. am I going to do with this thing? So it's, thank goodness she doesn't have the internet, because she doesn't know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Does, uh, was that ever hard for you, then, to uh, to do movies with nudity or, or anything that you were raised like uh, not to watch? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I before Deja Vu, I hadn't really done nudity. I mean, um, there, you know, maybe in Killing Joan, there was a side, barely, but nothing. It didn't show anything. It was like a side, no nipple, no. It was very clean and like, you know, um, so I barely done literally anything. There was another film that was um, kind of a butt shot, but half. But anyway. So I, I would avoided that, and and but I was willing to do the nudity for a role that it was justified that you know there be nudity for that character. I didn't want to do gratuitous nudity. 
with mm-hmm. no point. Right. Um, just to have the nudity there to help sell it or something. I didn't want to do that. So I continually avoided that in my career and doing horror and being a female, it's very tricky (laughs) to do. So I managed somehow not to do it. And then when Deja Vu came and I knew the film and I believed in the movie and and it's necessary with rape. And I'm like, it's, it's just a body. I have nothing there's nothing wrong with this naked body. It's when it's portrayed in a gratuitous nature that I'm like, it's tricky. I, as an actress, I want to make smart decisions about that. So, but with Deja Vu, there was no question I was doing the nudity. And I did it the first day of shooting. I don't know oh, really? anybody. And I was like, hello. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I, I'm, yeah, it was the first day and, and I'm not shy about it, but yeah, like I said, it was just, I just want to make, smart decisions and, and maybe that is from my um catholic upbringing i i don't know maybe i'm you know I, i'm not sure possibly mm-hmm. uh, how about maria um what, what kind of feedback have you, have you received from uh from fans who've seen it well actually um i've seen reviews not necessarily from friends but mm-hmm. from people out there um that have covered the entire gamut of from it's the best sequel ever to oh my god this is the worst movie ever and yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I have a record that it four of my films have been called the worst movie ever um, but that's fine <laughs> and one of the reviews it was actually a negative review that I was like well you know this is this this one just takes the cake. Um, that I actually copied and pasted it on Facebook. Um, <laughs> yes. It one, it, somebody absolutely hated the film, and that's fine. It, you know, it's art, it's out there. People are going to have whatever reaction they wanted to have it. It's absolutely fine. But they decided to take issue with my boobs. I don't know why. I thought they were fine. Other people oh. think they And... This guy was going on about, I don't want to watch Maria Olsen's ugly boobs. And I'm like, well, that's different. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, he said that I look like I had amnesia, remember? And I'm like, I think he means anorexia. Not anorexia. <laughs> <laughs> remember Because <him. laughs> I was an anorexic model. I lost most of the role, but it was, this post was hilarious. Anyway, continue, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This I just look at it, feel how they feel, and you know what? It, it doesn't worry me mm-hmm. at this point. Um, I know Jamie is remembering the time when I was literally crying to her on WhatsApp about some reviews I received, but it's fine now because it's out there, and you know some people love it, some people hate it, some people don't care, and it's all good. It's all fine. I. I... I do have a uh, a thought of uh, people on the internet itself. People tend to either say anything is the greatest thing ever, or it's like the worst thing ever made. And like, there's very little in between. It's not like it's okay or it's pretty <laughs> yeah, good. It's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true, Neil. You don't. You rarely get that. It's one extreme to the other. Right. So I've wasted whatever time in my life, and I'm like, I mean, there's there's a lot of middle ground here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I remember when I, I saw it. I said, because like I said, it's unique, it's different, it doesn't follow the same old model. And I said, people are either going to love this or they are going to hate it. 
And I think I was right. It, it is. It's yeah. one extreme or the other. But the critics seem to love it. One after the other, we've had amazing reviews. And they're smart viewers. And, I mean, that's amazing. The, right, guys? The critic reviews have been incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I have another one, another review that I'm about to share. I just have to get it translated first. And it's one of the most intelligent, most thoughtful, and thought-provoking reviews I've seen. So I cannot wait to share that one. Oh, very good. It's translated, so uh, what language is it? Where's it from, I guess? It's in French. Oh, okay. From cool. the, the horror journalist and critic in France that I am friends with online. Interesting. Uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, because people from other countries also show, but it's interesting, you know, that your movie goes out, it gets out there to, uh, to all different languages, all different countries. <laughs> Cisco and Ebert, they said, don't go see this movie, whatever you do. Yeah, Cisco and Ebert really hated the movie and told people not to go see it. And I think even went to the the theater, one of the theaters, and said, don't see this movie. (laughs) I guess they were in Chicago. I don't know. Yeah. How does... How does that affect you at the time? I cried. It hurt my feelings. And uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. Mayor said to me, we were married at the time, he said, uh, he said, Bubala, this is the greatest thing that could ever happen. This is free (laughs) advertising. Now everybody will want to see the movie. (laughs) That's very true, because I grew up with Siskel and Eber, and, like, they would get very mad, like, Oddly mad at a lot of like slasher films in the eighties, and they I remember um, <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night. They actually went on TV and and were like telling everyone the producers' names, almost like almost like advocating to like not maybe necessarily go to their house, but like send them bad messages. It was very strange, but it just as a kid, it made me like, man, I really want to see that movie now. <laughs> it made these oh, people yeah. so mad. Yeah, you could probably watch that on YouTube too. By the way. Um, uh, Jamie, we'll start with you. Where can people follow you if they want to see what you're up to? Not at your house, but like uh, where they can follow you. I'm very active on Instagram. I love photography and traveling, so it's kind of like my hobby. Um, so my Instagram is Jane, at Jamie Bernadette, spelled just like my name. So it's easy to find. Um, and then I'm on uh, Facebook as Jamie Bernadette, and I think there's a couple other fan pages too, but I have a, a regular account um, that people can follow me on. And, um, and then I'm on Twitter under Jamie Bernadette, but the E is not on the end. So I think I'm verified, so it's easy to find me. Right. Is that just because they don't allow enough characters? So you, you had to drop the E at the No. End? Because somebody had it. Oh, okay. I, like two best friends. Trust me, I did my research because I was going to get it. <laughs> right. It was like two best friends, and then they never used the account. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, so I just dropped the E, but uh-huh. for Twitter. But. Yeah, yeah. So E-list on Twitter. Maria Olson, where can people follow you? Um, also Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am Maria Olson66 the two numbers six and six um everywhere instagram facebook and um and twitter and i'm pretty active on all three sites except i disappear from twitter every so often but i always come back 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. You, I do you're... too. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. So well, why not? Why didn't you go all the way with the third six for Maria Olson? Because it doesn't stand for the six six six. It okay. stands for right. this thing. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I was thinking something entirely different. I'm sorry, Maria. I did not mean to, uh, to insinuate that you were satanic. It's, it's, a, it's the year of my birth, 1966. So that's okay. why this. Six on it, <laughs> everything. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I put seventy six hmm. on a lot of things for the same reason. Uh, Camille, Camille Keaton, where can people follow you if you want them to follow? Facebook. You? All right. Facebook. Yeah. yeah, you're very active on the Facebook. Yeah, I'm pretty active. I've got three pages. Um, one is Camille Keaton, or actually maybe two of them are Camille Keaton. Um, there must be a difference. Uh, one of them is Camille Keaton, and then the other one is Camille Keaton, the real Camille Keaton, and then I have one called uh, Actor. All right, yeah. You just look, look you'll find all of them. And uh, do you have anything uh, in uh, coming out? Uh, well, obviously, people can get ice spin on your grave day vu, but do you have anything that you're working on? Yeah, I, I do have a film coming out. It's called... Uh, Cry for the Bad Man. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And it's a um, it's a home invasion that happens to me, and um, so I get my guns out and <laughs> go to work. <laughs> Very good. I look forward to that. Uh, Marie, do you have anything in the works? Yeah. Um, actually, I had a feature film come out two days ago on the ninth. It's awesome. called Actors. Yep. And it's out on iTunes and wherever you can, um, you know, get VOD movies, etc. So that's awesome. And what am I working on? Yeah. Um, the last thing I shot was Los Angeles Shark Attack um, with Dustin Ferguson. And the whole I've, I've shot about 10 films so far this year. I get confused about what day it is. Never mind what film I'm shooting right now. Mm-hmm. Um Ashes came out, and I think Ghost in the Graveyard is going to be the next one to come out. Very good. It's always it's always nice to see Maria pop up in a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, Jamie, do you have anything in the works? Yeah, I have a film called The Colonial that I'm starting in August. It's a sci-fi, actually. Cool. It's a really, really fun script. Yeah, a lot of fun. And um, and then back to South Africa in September for a movie there with Daryl, director Daryl Root again, and the team, the producing team there, the same one I've worked on The Furnace. And then um, November, I have another another film, which I can't talk about, but it's, right. it's like a horror um uh, thriller film. So, right. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll be back in November then to talk about it. Okay. Or sometime <laughs> af- after when it, I guess when it's a, not when you're filming it, but when when, it, when it's released. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank right. you. You're welcome. Unless you're too big to by then to talk to us, but we'll find out. So, you're silly. <laughs> I <I'll> understand. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank all three of you coming on. It was, uh, it was a great time talking to you. And everyone, hope everyone checks out Deja Vu on video on demand or get the Blu-ray, DVD, whichever you prefer. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye.
Bye, everybody. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 My friends, I am Fabio Frizzi, and we are listening to Without Your Head Radio. All right, and we're back here once again at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still nasty Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Yeah. So a big thanks to our guests from I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu, Jamie Bernadette, Maria Olson, and Camille Keaton. Oh, super nice people. Yeah. Coming up here in about 45 minutes, we're going to have Gigi Sal Guerrero returning to the show to talk about her first feature, Culture Shock. Nice. Which is a fantastic movie. Uh, that's part of the uh, Into the Dark series on Hulu. It was July's uh, film for the Independence Day. Oh, wow. That's I pretty awesome. Really yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a Twilight Zone-y kind of film where it's kind of blending the real-life horrors... And then it kind of uh, 
kind of a sci-fi horror elements to it, uh, blending them. So it, it deals with the actual uh, border crisis and immigration uh, and the real-life horrors of that, and then it uh, blends in with uh, you know, some sci-fi horror elements. And uh, it's a great movie. I really recommend it. It'd probably be a polarizing movie. I think uh, some people who um really anti-immigration, maybe they won't like it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I love that. That was great. Definitely looking forward to it then. Yeah. It's uh, streaming on Hulu, so uh, check it out. So, speaking of holidays, I just oh. read this today, Troy. What's a holiday? What's so, going on? The guy who directed the last Halloween. Yep. Directing two more sequels. Okay. Back to back. And the plan is to put them both out next year. So, the two Halloween sequels will come out in 2020. <laughs> like, right at the same time? Or how, how far in, like removed will they be from each other yeah i don't i mean part i guess like uh it just you know when i hear that it makes no sense to me to put out two movies in the same year for the same franchise but then i think well does that make sense well actually i think with that movie maybe it does because i don't know how much how much longer they can go because i don't know why anybody liked the last one yeah, I was very surprised by that, too. So it might be one of those, well, we better crank them out because eventually people are going to realize these movies aren't so good. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to, um, how do I put this? So I've seen people, a lot of people who did like it, mm-hmm. um, they're re- and I'm not saying they're wrong, it's just different from my opinion, but they say that... Uh, you know, it's Michael Myers killing people, so what's not to like? Right, and so right. That's what that's, I thought before we saw it. Yeah, so, but if that is your, if that's all you need, I guess, cool. But does it, that doesn't really excite me, just no. to see, like, the same guy just, no matter what else happens in the movie, no matter what the story is, just to see Michael Myers walk around killing people. So I guess if you're in that in that frame of mind, then, you know, just keep pumping them out. I guess so. The one thing that shocked me about the last one were the amount of non-horror fans that enjoyed it. Because a lot of the people that I work with and people that I know who really, really loved it aren't people that watch any horror movies. And I was kind of surprised. I'm like, so this was like the first one you watched and you really liked it? Maybe you should go back and watch like the original, which is so much better. Yeah, I was weird because I I saw a friend of mine on Facebook who is he's a pro wrestler and he's not a uh, not a horror fan just like mm-hmm. and so he loved the new one went back and watched the first one and said it was like laughably laughably bad like one of the worst movies I ever saw and huh. I was just, like dumbfounded. Okay, so maybe, yeah, maybe it works in the opposite then. Yeah. I don't know. Then I guess if there's you know if that fan base really likes it, I guess you know keep cranking them out. Yeah, I mean, uh, what do I know? It made a whole bunch of money, so maybe, <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah. just a, maybe I'm just an asshole. I don't know. <laughs> yep, I, I didn't understand why, but I know it, it did. It, it was a huge, huge film. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of these different ones would always hint that like someone else is going to take over mm-hmm. as like the Michael, and they, and they never go through with it. I don't know if that's ever gone through in any franchise. They've done that. <laughs> They've done it with Friday the 13th. Well, I guess 
Friday Thirteenth in a way because they did do the the fifth one where it wasn't uh, Jason. Oh yeah, okay. So at I least that guess, you can give the dad. Yeah. Well, now that I think about it, Friday Thirteenth itself from two on did that because the first one it, it's it's Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Voorhees, and then they actually go and use a different character as the the lead villain from there. Oh, Jason. good call. Good call. It, but not. Not so much like a copycat or, you know, grooming someone to be the next one. Yeah, because it happened, like, you know, they did that in, in part four, Friday 13th, you think, um, I forget the kid's name, but uh, Corey Feldman's character, do you think he's going to be then become, you know, the, the Jason character after that? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of abandoned, and uh, they did it a few times, I think they've done it at least three times in the Halloween thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, the one where it was going to be the sister. Yeah, it happened in part four. It happened, I think, in the end of Rob Zombie's one. It was kind of hinted. The to that. second one, yeah, yep. And then, um, really, a few times throughout that that Halloween, this last one, a lot of the stuff that was foreshadowed just went nowhere. So yep. it's very strange to foreshadow stuff that has no actually <laughs> importance. It's never paid off in any way. Yep, agreed. Because there's a lot of hints that uh, that um, the main woman there was like the new Michael Myers. There were even oh, yeah. like shots that were taken from the first one, only with her character. Yep. But there was really no point to any of those. <laughs> no, that's that's one. Like, if I even if I try to play devil's advocate, I can't. I can't yeah. like. You know, try to hit you with the butt, Neil. What do you think about this? <laughs> yeah. no, I can't do it. And like, there was so much stuff about Michael Myers speaking in the movie. There's the crazy, you know, uh, podcasters holding the the mask. He's like, My God! <laughs> He's like, it's and he just going like a bad shit crazy. And then like the 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 fake Loomis guy. He's just like going on on about Myers speaking. And so you do, and I'm not dying to hear Michael Myers speak. I really don't think that'd be great for the movie. No, no. But why do you do all this stuff to lead to that moment when there it's not happening? Yeah, if you're gonna tease it all over the place, then and then just forget about it eventually, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the point of that. No, that that kind of sums up that whole movie for me. I just like, I just didn't understand. Like, what was going on? Like, why, why all the hubbub? What you know? What are we celebrating here? Yeah, not nothing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was just like this empty movie to me. Yeah. So they added a new uh, cast member to to the stand. Oh, okay. Who who? Yeah. Who apparently is also doing the uh, the the uh, song for it. Hmm. He's uh, Marilyn Manson. He's doing a, a cover. No. Of, doing a cover of the end, which I actually think sounds very good. That's oh, in my mind. Okay. I yep. haven't heard it, but I think I think he could pull it off. Because I was thinking, baby, can you dig your man? I thought maybe he'd be that character. I can't remember the. Oh, well, know, I don't the... think. Yeah, I don't know if it says what character he's going to play. Oh, okay. I think he just said he's going to be in it. He didn't. He had just like an interview. He's doing the cover of the end uh, for the for the show, and he's also going to be in it. But he didn't say like what character yet. 
Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that then. I, I think he's a very good actor. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I'm, whenever he pops up, I thought he was really good in Sons of Anarchy. And I saw him in was a, he? Yeah, it was like, I saw him in a movie. It, it was, it, it's not a horror movie, but they did like uh, put it out there as a horror movie. But he plays like a, uh, a hitman. I thought he was yeah, great. Yep, yep. That movie was really good too, I thought. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it, but I enjoyed yeah. it a lot. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, James, it was, was Whoopi Goldberg's hoping. in it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she'll be Mama Abigail or something. Yeah, Mother Jenny Abigail. Cool. That's, says that's that. sweet. And maybe maybe she can bake her own goddamn bread this time, huh? Instead of biscuits. I don't that's, know. Uh, that movie suffered so much from like just little oh, things that, like yeah. that they, you know, it's like, okay, in the book, she says... You know, I'm a hundred and whatever she is, and I still bake my own bread. And then in the TV movie, yep, I'm a hundred and whatever years old, and I still bake my own biscuits. You can't bake bread anymore? Like, why this change? <laughs> it's one of those things that just drive me crazy. I, I can understand if you change something because it makes more sense this way or, you know, we're going to update it and make it a little different, okay, but if you just change stuff for the sake of changing stuff, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. If it if it's somehow there's lots of reasons. Like if it's something that's okay, if we have this in the movie, somehow it doesn't work in modern time. Right, right. I understand written. that. Yeah, cuz there are like uh, okay, well we might talk about this later on. It's uh or we might do a video. I don't know if we'll have time tonight here cuz we got a lot of guests, but um I like the the new direction of J. Jonah Jameson. In uh-huh. uh, in Spider Man, I didn't really like the movie, but I like that, and also it made sense because I think if you had J. Jonah Jameson as you know the this uh, you know, runs this newspaper, like mm-hmm. that's really not relevant today. No, there'd be a bunch of like old creepy bastards in New York that read it, and that's it. Yeah, nobody under the age of like fifty would be reading the paper, so nobody would give a shit about the Daily Bugle. Yeah, so they reimagined him as. As almost like a, an, uh, an Alex Jones kind of character. Maybe not yeah. quite that level, but I like that actually is smart, and that makes sense. Yep, but like an online screed kind of guy, you know, that's just yeah. kind of yelling about everything, which is perfect. That's that's just awesome. Yeah, I like that. So, you know, that makes sense. Or um, something like even uh, Dexter, who I love the, I love the books, but I do think if they would have they they didn't change him a lot. He is pretty much what you when you're reading it, but especially in later books, he's more villainous. Mm-hmm. And I think they didn't want to go quite that route with the TV show because he's the hero of the show. So I got that. Right. I was he fine with that. Wouldn't be as likable then. Yeah, it would have uh, a lot of stuff with the like. He really grooms the one kid to be a serial killer. <laughs> oh, okay. And it's fantastic in the book. And it also there's a lot of stuff there because you in the book they really do a good job with never saying one way or the other if the father character knew he was a killer and right. so made him kill bad people or if he really just wanted someone to kill people that got away with murder with with crimes. Right, right. Did he make Dexter the killer or did he make killer did he know from his experience that he's going to kill anyway and had him killed. So they did a good job. Like you never really know the answer to that. 
oh, that's awesome. That's good. I, I don't think you should know. No. Because it's always, like, much better to me, kind of wondering, like, hmm, you know, like, was it like his Frankenstein monster or, you know, what exactly? Right. Or even both. It could have been yeah. both. He could have been happy that he had this guy. And so then it brings into the whole idea of a cycle because then he's grooming. It's not his, his uh, you know, biological son, but his, the son of his uh, girlfriend. He starts okay. to groom him to be, a, you know, a serial killer. Oh, okay. So I like that. So I cannot, but I, I also understood not having that in the show. Well, right, I would have right. liked it in a TV show. I think it would have been, a, it, it could, I think it would have turned the audience. I don't think everyone would have really gotten into that. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. Like, it'd be harder to cheer for Dexter if, you know, if that's going on. So, yes, yeah, so I get, I get certain things, but then I also totally agree, like to change something that really, does it have a reason? Like, it wouldn't affect the story, really? Right. And, like, it, like in Spider-Man, like, when you have natural web shooters, if that's not going to, you know, help out the storyline at all, then don't do it. Yeah. Just so you can make, like, some funny jerking-off references. Like, <laughs> to me, that's just lame. Yeah, yeah. The only thing you're going to do is just piss off the diehards. And, like, really? Is that worth it? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. That is a thing nowadays. People, maybe that's why they they had all that stuff at Halloween and stuff where they. And I think that about the new, um, the newest um, Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a, this troll mentality. Yeah, I don't get that. I just don't like, understand it. Let's troll our own audience. Uh, troll the people who love Star Wars and we'll turn every single thing about Star Wars to upside down. <laughs> yep. And I, I don't I, I don't know if it's like an arrogance thing or what, but it it that's one of those goofy things that drive me crazy. Yeah. And I could I could see let's do that with one element. Yep. Okay, when we don't expect that um that she's not related to anyone. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe yep. it's not about your heritage and stuff. I, I like that, but when you do it with every element of the of the movie, yeah, and then none of these things stands out. It's just like, oh, you're just flipping everything in this movie. Yeah, just for the sake of doing it. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't get that. I, I don't get that mindset. You know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can kind of understand. Like, well, we're gonna. Uh, traditional storytelling, if you hint at something, you pay it off. So let's do the opposite. But sometimes things are traditional yep. for a reason. Like there is uh, elements of basic storytelling that are universal and there is a reason why they exist. So I don't think like foreshadowing something that has no payoff, like maybe that sounds unique, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's good storytelling. No. And you could do it maybe once and then get people like, ah, oh, they got me on that. Right. But when you do it with everything, then it becomes pretty obvious in itself. Yeah, then it makes the whole thing pointless. Yep. But uh, off topic, I do want to bring this up because I actually just saw this on, uh, on Facebook. Stephanie Wiley is uh, very cool. She uh, posted this link, Bloody Disgusting, uh, is saying that Midsummer originally received an NC-17, so it was cut back to get the R. But oh, they're no going to, yeah, but due to the success, people are really loving it, like myself. Uh, they're going to be putting out an extended cut. Oh, awesome. That's great news. Yeah. I love extended cuts of things. It makes me very happy. 
Yeah, and it's a, it's already two hours and twenty seven minutes. To me, oh, it doesn't wow. seem that like for me a, a good long movie is totally fine. Oh, absolutely. Some, some of my favorite movies are very long. So. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. then you get that really, you know, you can't have a truly, like, epic movie. You know, like, if Lord of the Rings was trimmed down to, like, an hour and a half each movie, yeah, you'd be missing so much of it. And so there's at least 30 minutes they're going to add, uh, so it'll be, a, like, an over three-hour uh, cut, which oh, I'm very awesome. No, that's good. Yeah. I may go see it again tomorrow, but I am definitely going to see Crawl tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Crawl looks so great. Ever since the first time I saw the trailer, I've been totally geeked for that one. Yeah. And there's a, there's a video game. I posted it on the Without Your Head group. So go to Facebook.com slash group slash Without Your Head or, And I posted the link. It's like, uh, you know, it's a free video game you can play on your phone. You can play on your computer. And it's a crawl video game? Yeah. Oh, sweet. I'll have to check that out. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Oh, I, I missed this. I'm sorry. Um, Danny Hicks had asked me to uh, ask Jamie Bernadette if she, if he, if she's still in love with him. I'm sorry. Oh, that would have been good to get an answer. Yes, yes. Next time. Next time. All right. Time indeed. But yeah, it's Commit a fun that little one game. to memory. I thought I did great. I had like two thousand something points, but I saw someone over three thousand. Oh, I think oh. they're All right, they could be. That might have been the guy that actually made the game. Maybe. So I've not watched uh, season three yet of Stranger Things, but I'm like I'm not sure why I haven't watched it yet because I'm looking forward to it. It's been my favorite season so far, Neil. I, I really, really love it. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been really loved the show. Yeah, yeah. Like I make fun of certain things, but of it, but what the hell? I do think uh, there is this over saturation of uh, of 80s nostalgia in in our culture right now. And that's kind of the epitome of it, but I still think it's very good. So I'm mm-hmm. not like, trash. I don't think it's, a, I'm not trashing it whatsoever. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things you're always more sensitive than I am about. Cause like, I, I never really notice things like that as much. It just becomes kind of like window dressing to me. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of, I don't know why, but it gets on my nerves. And this, this no, cause I remember it. when we did the, when we watched, um, Captain Marvel, it was the nineties thing. Yeah. And like, know. it didn't it's really awesome. bother me at all. And, and like, I know it really, you know, graded on you. Yeah. I think it was just too much. And it was like, I don't know. I felt like that was just like really forced. I do think it's a little forced sometimes in stranger things too, but huh. I don't know, but but I do want to bring this up is there's this new smoking policy for Where? Netflix. Oh, Netflix. Because people have complained apparently that um there's too much smoking in Stranger Things that characters Oh my smoking god. Smoking violations. Um well, in the 80s if they're going to continue it set there, uh-huh. um there was a lot of smoking everywhere. Right. So when I first read this, I was like, well, I'm trying to go in with an open mind. And I thought I misread it, to be honest, but I thought it meant. Um, so if they're smoking a movie. A TV show is going to be rated um, like PG-13 or TVMA or TV-14, whatever it's called. And I was yeah. like, well, OK, I don't know if they have the same policy, like if, if there's alcohol in something. Right. I'm like, OK, that's fine. 
But then when I reread it, it's that anything NC, not NC-17, anything that's PG-13 or TV-14 or under cannot have smoking in. And I was like, so it's almost, they're basically saying it's got to be rated R or TVMA. Wow. And I was like, that that's that's getting out there. That's getting ridiculous. Well, you're not kidding. So that, you know, under those rules, you would have to put that up for any old movie or anything. Yeah. You know, you couldn't watch an old Bogart movie because, like, you know, Humphrey Bogart's always smoking. Mm-hmm. And they put a, a little gray area, they said, unless it's, like, an historic person. <laughs> oh, so, like, well, because Holmes is a fictional character. I was going to say he could smoke his pipe, I guess, or Gandalf, but they're all fictitious characters. Yeah, but I mean, this guy's fictitious too, the dead. Oh, I yeah, mean, you're right. Affair, so <laughs> yeah. Where, where do you really draw the line there? They yeah, that be... seems ludicrous to me. Yeah. It's... Look, I don't, think, I don't think kids should smoke. Right, think, right. But you can't just not have... Plus, okay, there's murder in this show, and there's, like, monsters eating people. Yeah, and horrific monsters and yeah, stuff. That's fine. And this season, deal, like, there's some truly gruesome things that happen. Yeah, so that's fine for a kid to see. <laughs> and we're, we're talking about 13-year-old kids. We're not talking about an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old or something. Yeah. Wow, that seems, yeah, that seems way, because uh, it's not like it's a show that's geared towards kids right now mm-hmm. you know it's more right. like like you said like the nostalgic crowd mm-hmm. you know people that are in their 40s or 50s now mm-hmm. like oh my god that was me i was playing D D back then and doing this and da, 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 da. and there's pot humor and everything oh yeah i think that's pretty normal now which i don't care i really don't care about any of this stuff right me either yeah, it's the same thing with alcohol or, you know, sexual innuendo. Right. Right. So I'm just like, if you could show someone drinking a beer, that's <laughs> fine, but they can't smoke. Yeah. Especially, you know, if something's set in a time period where everybody did smoke, that's, you know, kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't, I just don't get it. In fact, I think you've got to be older to drink than you do to smoke, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you got to be 21 to drink and... I think it's either 18 or maybe it was 16. Now it's 18. Yeah. The smoke. Right. And you can't murder it. There's, you can't murder it. It's not like once you hit a certain age, you're allowed to murder. That's true. Like, I think you should. I think like if you live to be 100, you should be allowed to like murder someone. I think so, too. That At that point, it's like for one thing, if you're if you're going to be murdered by someone in their 90s, yeah, or, or someone in their hundreds, let's say, because I don't know. I've seen, I know our Graham. You know, when she was in early nineties, she probably still could have murdered. Yeah, some kids. pretty perky ninety-year-olds. Yeah, so, so a hundred. Okay, if you're if you're if you're like lame enough that you can be murdered by someone that's a hundred, you deserve that's on you. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yep, yep. And if you live that long, then hey, you just you deserve a little something. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you can bludgeon someone to death and do it man yeah yeah i mean it might take you a while yeah and i'm not and even if you you're a tough hundred year old you know like you'd think like if you were much younger than that you could run away from them anyway right 
right? And I'm not saying you have to take it. So let's say the hundred year old comes up to you and starts slowly killing you with a hammer, like oh, grandpa. Right. Yeah, like you, you don't stop. have to, <laughs> right? You don't have to just sit there and let him do it. No, no. Yeah, you don't have to like hit him or something. You can take off. Yeah, I think that's a fair rule. I think so. So it'll be eighteen for smoking. And gambling too? Is that what it is, or is it sixteen? Yeah, gambling? I think it's eighteen for gambling because if it's a casino that has the free alcohol, then you have to be twenty-one to gamble. Oh, okay. And then twenty-one for booze, and then a hundred to kill somebody. Right, right. Yeah. I think uh, I think sex is different depending on the state. Yeah, that's true. I think mostly it's six, eighteen. The age of consent. I, I think I think it's sixteen most places. Yeah, I think I think you're right, but. Yeah. So yeah, well, that sounds good. Yep. Sounds and then good. give a goofy little warning, and then I think think you're I think you're okay then. Yeah, yeah. So Put American a little ho- tea for tobacco or something. Right. Right. What is there anything else? It's like, how old do you have to be to smoke cannabis? Yeah, you know, that's a damn good question. Twenty one, maybe. I know you have to. You have to, I have to show my ID if I just. Not that I go into these places, but just if you go into a uh, a place, you, like I, I walk in, and I usually have my earbuds on, like I'm in Boston, and like, and I didn't notice the people talking to me. I'm like, oh, hey, whatever. And I'm just like, he's like, no, I got to see your ID. I was like, oh, okay. So you have to have you have to show your ID even to walk into a place that sells that. Oh, no kidding, yeah. That is kind of weird because I see like people bringing their kids into liquor stores all the time. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, set, not, we don't have a Seven Eleven, but for people who are listening who don't know what, like, Tedeschi's is, like, if we go to a, if I go to a 7-Eleven around here, almost all of them just sell, um, you know, some type of um, of weed uh, products. Oh, yeah. Yep. True. And I have not been asked to show ID when I buy any of them. Yeah, maybe it is, like, 18. Maybe it's the same as, like, tobacco. Yeah, it could be. Not sure. Because I, I see kids, but I, sometimes it's tough guessing ages anyway. And it's kind of like a quote from our mom. The older I get, the younger everybody else gets. Mm-hmm. So people that are 25 look like they're 18 to me. And the people that I see leaving like the pod store in Wareham, some of them look pretty young. They look like they're probably about 18 or 19. Mm. So. I'm reading this here over on Arrow on the Head. Uh, there's a third Walking Dead uh, spinoff coming. Well, a second spinoff. Good Lord. Show. Yeah, like, like I'm a Walking Dead fan, but like, mm-hmm. how many shows do you need about the same place? <laughs> I know, and like, you know, they don't think they're going to oversaturate doing this. Yeah, I don't get it. You know, just stick with the two you got now. That's what I would say. Yeah, I don't, I don't, how, oh my God, I don't know. This one's going to be about the first generation that grow up in the apocalypse, which I actually like that idea, which actually, that's what Carl is in the comic, but they really missed that point in the TV show. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some good stuff there. I like that idea. Yeah, they could, they could do a lot with that, I bet. And it's saying some will go on to become uh, heroes and some will go on to become villains. But yep. they're also got like three movies in the works and Wow. How much how much stuff is going on here? <laughs> I know that's a lot of stuff. Well maybe they're doing like the Halloween group, like we're gonna keep 
going until people are tired, sick to death of it. Yeah, it's, just, it's going nuts. I don't yeah. know. Strike while the iron is cold. <laughs> I know. Well, I guess it's kind of like I, I see that on the. I don't know if it's is it the WB network or something where like every new show is either a DC comic or like an Archie comic or now they got a sexy Nancy Drew coming out. And it's, I, I don't know, I think they're going to reach a point where people are just like, okay, had enough of like these, you know, sexy teen superheroes or comic book characters or whatever they happen to be. Yeah, it's kind of creepy too. It is like do they place because they're still teens in the in the in the story. I assume. I, I guess so. I don't know. I'm not, you know. It looks like they are because well, like the Archie one. It's called uh, wherever the hell they're from, Midville or something. So it's like Midville High School. It's not like Midville College. So I guess they're all teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Too many weird, like, pervy shows on there. Yeah, it's like, why do you want to sex up, like, teens? Like, <laughs> oh. I don't know. It seems, this seems very creepy. Yeah, yep. Like but Rob I think Scar they're going to reach the point it. with that, like, that that people besides Robbie are going to be like, all right, we've had enough of this shit, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Robbie's probably like he's he's touching himself and screaming at the same time. It could be, could be a little self-loathing for doing that. Yeah, but he's like, I just can't help it. It's a swamp thing. I can't say no. Right. Let's see here. I had some other news. Oh, but I mentioned Midsummer earlier. They're 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 putting out a toy. It's like limited to seventy-five, and I don't even see the movie, but it's a it's a caged bear from Midsummer. So you can get the caged bear like a little figure. No kidding. Yeah, I kind of want one. <laughs> Is it at like Newberry Comics or something? Or I don't know where it's gonna be. Let me read here. Um, so this actually on the Entertainment Weekly website. Nice, thirty-two dollars. It's gonna be on the A twenty-four online shop. Oh, okay, sweet. It's very limited, I believe. I think someone said it was limited to seventy-five. or something. Wow, that sounds like insanely limited. Yeah, maybe it's not that limited. That sounds yeah. I would think it would be a lot more than thirty-two dollars. Huh. But I would like one. Oh yeah, definitely. That sounds that sounds pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. So uh, the Sasuke twins. Were suspend- what are they up to? They were suspended from Twitter. For doing what? So they were they were sharing pictures of their uh, their remake of Rabbit. Mm-hmm. And they were deemed too gruesome, too gory, and their their uh, Twitter uh, page was suspended. Really? They yeah. didn't just give them a warning? Like, well, that's pretty gross. Got that out? No, I don't believe so. And oh. I, don't, I can't say this is right. I've seen lots of terrible things on twi- on social media. It doesn't affect me. It, I mean, right. they'd have to socials and like, well, actually, like, uh, I don't like to see, like, the real, like, people share, like, real, like, dead bodies on fa- that I was like, like well, I don't, I don't want to yeah. do that. But as far as, like, uh, gruesome stuff from a movie, you could share just about anything. I'm not going to care. Oh, but. exactly. Because especially if it's just makeup or something. Exactly. That's what this is. And it is, oh. it is gory. I'll give it that. It looks uh-huh. cool. It's a very cool image. But I've seen, like, worse stuff. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't know. To me, it comes down to uh, someone like or don't like the Saska twins for whatever reason, and we're reporting them. Oh, that's lame. I hate I, stuff like that. Yeah. I have no idea if that's true, but that's what I uh that's what I think. That's what it sounds like. Oh yeah, I see I see the picture now. And it is it is a cool, like gruesome makeup. Mm-hmm. But I don't see why anybody should be banned for that. No, it's ridiculous. It's not like a nudity thing or, you know, like even a gruesome act or something. It's just like a cool makeup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you watch anything from a horror, horror movies, you see that yeah. kind of stuff up there. That's pretty lame, man. Yeah. Silliness. That is. That's just, I don't know. That's people being just too childish. You know, stop that. If you don't like it, then, you know, tell the person or, you know, don't go to their the page, I guess. Yeah, that's another thing about social media in general. Like, if you see something, I'm not saying everyone is is cool with seeing that. I understand mm-hmm. that. So oh if yeah, yep. If you don't like that, then just either you know unfollow them, yep. un- uh, block them because they're, they're going to be they they make horror movies, so you're not going <laughs> to like the stuff they're showing. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. Right. I'm not going to follow like an evangelical Christian. I'm not going to say I wouldn't follow them, but I wouldn't follow someone who who posts that. If that's their whole identity, they post nothing but, you know, uh, you know, don't do this again, burn in hell. God says, yeah. well, I'm just not going to follow that because that, that I don't want to see it. But I'm yeah, not going to report them, them and say, you know, oh, my God, this person won't leave me alone. Like, no, you know, you keep going there and looking at this stuff. So stop it. That's on right. you. Exactly. So I, I don't know why people don't look. The world's not based around you. <laughs> exactly. There's other people around. So if you don't want to see it, you're not yeah. forced to look at it. And everybody has different likes and, you know. Wants, needs, desires, dreams, hopes. Right. And I, things that set them off. So, yeah. you know, if you know something's going to set you off, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. stop it. Just stay away from that person or that page or whatever it happens to be. Right. And I've been victim of this. I've been, People have reported me for stuff that I, I don't think is any issue at all. Uh-huh. But regardless, if you do think it's an issue, all you had to do unfriend me unfollow yeah. me. that's that's easy enough yeah you don't have to be a you know pansy and start reporting me to the to the facebook police yeah and, and for what you know it's like well okay you don't like this fine and dandy yeah yeah that's that's pretty lame that's just totally Absolutely. silly to me exactly so uh widow's point Trailer is out. New film by uh, Gregory Lamberson. Oh, nice. And future guest. He'll be here next week. Oh, very good. Live on the show. By the way, next week's going to be a pretty sweet show. We're going to have Gregory Lamberson, uh, director of of Slime City Massacre and Johnny Gruesome and the upcoming Going to Speak. What those points are. And and he's going to be on here. He's going to tell us all about the feature films that will be playing at 
Buffalo Films Fantastic Fest. Oh, nice. I always look forward to that. Always something, I, you know, I just like. And a super, super cool guy. I like the. Yeah. Always good to have him on. Yeah. And also, just I uh, confirmed earlier this week, Patricia Tallman will also be here, who is Barbara from the 1990 Tom Savini remake of Night of the Living Dead. Awesome. She she was one of the highlights of that movie. I, I like the movie anyway. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. It's one of my favorite remakes. I do yeah. disagree with people who I see this a lot lately saying it's better than the original, which I don't think it is, but I do no. think it's a very good movie. Yeah, yep. I think great cast in it. Everybody's really good. Um Yeah, I I, I really dig that movie. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's basically the original movie. Oh yeah. Uh, with uh, amped up zombies, which is cool. Yep, yep. Yeah, and then that slight like change from, you know, the plot line and stuff, which is also neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be very cool here for Zombie Month. Oh yeah. That's mad cool. So the the rabbit trailer is out by the way, but I mentioned other sauces. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not not a big fan of the original, so I don't know if well I probably won't dislike this one any more than that one. Yeah, um, I want them to do well. They're, they're super nice. Uh, oh, I met yeah. them. They've been on the show. I watched the trailer. Uh, the first half of the trailer, I honestly don't think looked too good. But uh, the second half of the trailer, when stuff happens, it looks cool. But uh, I'm definitely, I'll definitely be seeing it. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to think of other noteworthy news um i don't know if you know but uh warren magazine's uh character vampirella turns 50 really yeah it's a 50th anniversary which i thought was kind of neat yeah that's pretty awesome one of the characters been around for a long long time yep yeah i don't know if both like well if all uh, Uncle Creepy and Cousin Eerie and Vampirella are all 50 or maybe they turned 50 last year or something. Mm-hmm. But all I could say is that she is 50. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, mention uh, watching movies by a young Jason Mitten, the headless critic over in Without Your Head. Go and check those out. Uh, he just reviewed The Night Sitter. Which, nice. uh, I, I thought it was a cool movie. He gave it uh, two out of five headless critics. Mm-hmm. But it, but I think it's a positive review, so uh, oh, okay. check that one out. Uh, he gave Boo uh, four out of five, uh, excellent short, which uh, we oh, talked yes. uh, to Rockefeller uh, a couple weeks ago. Yep, yep. Also, uh, a movie I really dug too. Well, you know, yeah, short, yeah, short well, I really dug. Uh, one we definitely disagree on is uh, Midsummer. Oh, he didn't like it as much, no, huh? No, he didn't like it. He gave it two. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, I remember you saying I, I definitely do right. think it's it's a movie not for everybody. Uh-huh. Uh, Nightmare Cinema, which I saw, is actually on uh, Video On Demand now, so I'm going to be checking this out this weekend. Uh, he really dug that. It's an anthology film. Gave it three out of five. Okay. And I'm a sucker for anthologies. So yep, sure. me too. I'm always down with that. Uh, and uh, he went to see Crawl tonight, so I'm not sure what he thought of it. But uh, oh, okay, I am curious. <coughs> very curious, very curious indeed. Uh, Assassinat comes out July 30th on uh, video on um, on DVD and Blu-ray. We had uh, the director oh, nice. on uh, earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. 
I really dug the movie. So I hope I'm looking forward to that one. Outspoken guy had some stuff to say about a trauma dance this year. Mm. Some people were were offended by. It's really weird because uh, Lloyd Kaufman's always been uh, good to us, been nice to us, but we also yep. never made anything with him. Right, so, right, true. Yeah, you never know, anything. you know, about something unless you're, you know, directly there with them, I guess. So, yeah, so it's always interesting. There's people who uh, say nothing but good things and people who say nothing about uh, Well, not nothing, but a lot of people who say uh, negative things. So, yeah, I like to see both sides because I never oh, really think either one's wrong. I think it nope. depends on how you look at everything involved. Oh, yeah. So I mentioned this last week, I think, or maybe I didn't. Maybe I mentioned it on your head. But uh, I saw earlier that there was a, uh, I don't think he can get any more, but there was, there was a vegan human flesh that, that people were selling. That's awesome. They made a vegetable-based human flesh product that you could cook. So you could, you know, hey, I'm going to become a, uh, a cannibal. Make this but you don't want to break your vegan-like thing. Exactly. Or just laws. Moral or, or you know, man-made. But I, I think the more I thought about that, the more brilliant it is. Because really, you know, what do people have to compare it to? See, if, if I've never eaten a person, mm-hmm. then like I could try this thing, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it tastes just like human flesh." Right. And I got to take their word for it, unless I am a cannibal. That's very true. How do you know? Maybe it just tastes like mushrooms. Yeah, yep. It's like, wow, people taste like mushrooms. That sucks. I don't want to be a cannibal anymore. Yeah. See, it might it might kind of quell me from my desire to to try people. Mhm. That's very that's true too. It might See, there's a it's it could be the gateway to cannibalism. You're like, "Holy fuck, this is good." That's Just true. Imagine what the like I like a Beyond burger, but it's nothing compared to a T-bone. Imagine mm-hmm. what this maybe the same way. This is yeah. this is really good, but just imagine what the real thing tastes like. Or they might not like and say, Thank God I didn't have to go eat somebody. That's true. You know, I went through all this trouble to like kill a person and skin them and mm-hmm. butcher them and cook them up and man, they suck. Exactly. Exactly. Well, a lot easier to run down a market basket and grab some pork chops or something. Exactly. So uh, we're going to take a break here. We're going to play some of the music of the month, Headstone Horrors. And then when we return, we will have Gigi Sal Guerrero, director of Culture Shock, now streaming on Hulu. It's going to be very cool. She was on before. Uh, It's a really fun time, and I'm looking forward to talking to her again. Awesome. All right. Troy and I shall return here momentarily. Yeah, we shall.
Hi, this is Andres Kaiser. I'm the director of Pearl, which is going to be shown at Hola Mexico Film Festival. And you're listening to Without Your Head. All right. And we're back here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still Nasty Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And we are the return of Gigi Sal Guerrero, director of Culture Shock, which is streaming right now. Not this second. Well, any second, I guess. He's going <laughs> to it. They want on Hulu. It's very cool to have you back. Yay. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. Welcome back. So when did the idea of Culture Shock uh, come about? And were you always involved in uh, the writing of it? No, actually. Um, James and Efren, the original writers of the script, um, had sent this to the studio Blumhouse uh, before I was there. And basically Blumhouse acquired this script. And that's when they started looking for, you know, for directors who can tackle such a script and who can do their own pass. Um, so when I, when I read it, uh, you know, I was like, Oh my God, I need to do this. Like I need to be part of this film. Um, and you know, I, I really felt very passionate about it and very excited to, to, you know, have my first feature and, and have it be not just with Blumhouse, but be a very important, timely story that, you know, has a lot to do, unfortunately, uh, with what we're living with today, with the border crisis, and um, and just really have a an authentic Mexican voice tell the story. Uh, it just seemed like a very good opportunity. So, you know, when I when it was time to pitch, I I promised Blumhouse to to let me do a Mexican pass at it and make it make it as authentic as possible. Um, and that it really won't disappoint. It'll go appreciated a long way, uh, adding the authentic, authentic layers to it. And they were very excited and, and they just let me go for it. So, um, I, I'm just really, really happy that it's out there and it's getting such a great response. Yeah. People, I, I loved it myself. Uh, and I think it's one, honestly, one of the best, uh, horror movies of the year so far. We're about halfway oh, through. Thank you. Wow. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's got like, uh, I forget the like 90% or hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and all the reviews coming in. I've seen, uh, are all really positive. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I made sure to screenshot the hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> right. before it changed. So, so far it's still standing strong, but, uh, it's been very, very cool to see this film out and, and how everyone's reacted to it. Yeah. So the, the beginning of the movie, when, um, you know, the, you're, the main character wants to come to America and, and her family or her mother's like, uh, you know, um, you know, why do you want to stay here and stuff? Is any of that um, personal to you? Like w- when you decided to um, to to get out of Mexico, to, to leave Mexico? Yeah, you know, like a lot of the moments in the story are very personal to me, very, very personal. I even used quotes of my own grandmother uh, and a lot of the dialogue, especially of what the the midwife, the Mexican midwife, says to her, and um, and same with the writers, uh, they also know p- friends of friends, or they have family who have crossed the border and have other stories as well as as for me. So we wanted to to just be very true in many of the scenes as possible. Um, but the whole, I mean, the whole movie itself, it's its hard to say, like, just one scene was personal to me. The whole movie had a lot of things of 
that are just so important to me, um, even to the point of of um, having basically filmed two different movies. Uh, for anybody who has not seen it, it basically changes uh, filming styles halfway through. Yeah. Uh, like the way Mexico looks versus the way America looks. You can't even tell it's the same actors <laughs> that are in the, in the same movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even the, and I really, the language changes. In the language changes, everything changes. And I, you know, it's like a literal c- culture shock I wanted to do. But that was one of the most personal things I wanted to portray because when I moved from Mexico to Canada, that's exactly how it felt. And still to this day, people ask me if I prefer Mexico or Canada. And I still can't answer that. I just say it's two different worlds. So that's exactly what I wanted to do in the movie. Just literally film two different movies that just look like two completely different worlds. Um, I think it I think it totally worked. I know for some people I've seen on Twitter that are like, what the fuck? Oh, I don't know if I can swear. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can say, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I've seen some tweets like, what the fuck is up with this film? <laughs> like, it's been really interesting, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, the whole Mexico part, uh, I want it to be as authentic as possible and just really portray what people go through, you know, like mm-hmm. they're not just criminals that are crossing the border. You know, it's people that go through a level of desperation who just want a fair chance in, in life, just like the rest of us, just in a different level, you know? And uh, yeah, so it's it, it was really, really, really cool to film something like this. Yeah, uh, I actually kind of compared that um, in my little notes here when I was watching the movie, uh, kind of like Wizard of, the, Wizard of Oz, where it's like, uh, so the first like third of the movie or so is gritty, the way it's filmed and everything realistic, and then it's all vibrant colors and... yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, was, yeah. that that totally was one of my references you know one of the things i i said was what if we do pleasantville gone wrong like what would that look like <laughs> yeah. um you know and uh i'm glad you bring up wizard of oz that's a really good reference yeah and, and then it's and, and not, not just like uh the luck of it, but then there's also kind of you go deeper into Wizard of Oz. It's like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know, not everything's as it seems. So, you know, all these vibrant, shiny things aren't necessarily, you know, uh, as great as you think they are. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, it's kind of like I wanted that feeling where it's too good to be true. You know, I love, I, I've learned that. That was one of the first quotes I learned when I started learning English. A lot of people would say that, like, oh, it's too good to be true. And uh, so it's always stuck with me, like, oh, too good to be true. Like, nothing is perfect. Um, so I <laughs> I almost wanted, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a perfect date. That, that's kind of scary. Like, I don't think that there's <laughs> such a thing as a perfect date, right? Like, <laughs> I would run away, call that lift, and just get your ass back. Like, there's no such thing. So... So, yeah, like, what if America, like, felt too good to be true, you know, like, Pleasantville is just too good to be true. And um, it was really fun creating this, especially from, you know, being an outsider. I'm not from America. Mm-hmm. Um, and my perspective is so different, right? Like, how how I've seen 
from the outside what the American dream is and uh, how we all look at it in a different light. Um, yeah, it was it was it was really cool for sure. Yeah, and I like um, uh, you don't shy away from a lot of the uh, the horror, the real life horrors of, of uh, people go through to get to who do cross the border. Uh, you know, sexual assault and and uh, yeah. dealing with uh, uh, the cartels there, and uh, the coyote himself is bringing them over. And there's you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of hardships that someone has to go through just to get here. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. That that's that's what I mean. Like, oh, hold on, my dog clearly yeah, no wants problem. to stay. He wants to be involved too. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> Nacho, Nacho, stop it, stop it. There, he's happy now. Um. There, he got to say hi. <laughs> right. Hello, nice. um, um, No, but definitely one of the things the writers and I really wanted to do was to be as real. Like, I don't think we need to go as horrific and insanely crazy in the genre when it comes to crossing the border. Like, that's that shit's already really scary. Really, really scary. And we wanted to be as true to it as possible, like the steps that you have to go through um, to cross the border. Um, you know, one of one of the important characters I was really excited about in creating was uh, the, the little boy, Ricky. Mm-hmm. He's the he's not Mexican character. He's from Guatemala. And, you know, that's a true fact that a lot of people from Guatemala and children that travel that far by themselves have to pose as Mexicans um, and get a fake Mexican ID and learn the anthem and do all these things. So if they do get caught or deported or whatever, they just get deported to Mexico and not all the way down to Guatemala. Right. Uh, It's, it's pretty insane. Like how it goes down. Um, Yeah. It's it's something I know knowledge of uh, when I watch the movie. It was re- yeah. you know, really interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. So we wanted to just be as real as 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 possible, and and I mean, for Marisol, the main character, to want to cross the border pregnant, like you have to be out of your mind, you know, like to not to not think straight anymore and do something like that. But but that happens, right? Like that totally is real. Um, so yeah, it was it was very intense filming this. It was very the, the whole Mexico scenes were the most realistic uh, moments that that were I think were the toughest to film. Yeah. Um, a, a cool a cool fact was that the cinematographer, super talented, his name's Byron Werner. I told him uh, I was like, for all the crossing the border scenes, we're not going to have any lights. What do you mean? I was like, yeah, no lights. We're going to film this with only flashlights and lanterns. He's like, no, we can't do that. I was like, no, we're doing that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's that's all we film with. And when you watch it, holy shit, it feels like that. It feels yeah. like we're in the pure pure isolation and darkness with these characters. Um, I think that was definitely one of my favorite stuff, like my favorite stuff to to film was everything in the desert. Uh, that was so so crazy. It was so cold and dark, but it was so so worth it. Yeah, and it really amps up the contrast. And when they do get to uh, the the illusion of the American dream, where it's all bright and and shiny. Yeah, 
Yeah, agreed. And of course, Barbara Crampton shows up hey, and you. everything changes. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. A huge fan of Barbara Crampton. Uh, and it's really cool that uh, to see Barbara Crampton um, uh, later in her career, I uh, get so many great roles, which that doesn't always happen with a, with a female actor. So, uh, and the last few years, she's been doing great for herself. Oh, yeah. But, uh, she's been in, like some of my favorites lately. Yeah. So uh, did you have any hands-on on the casting of, of the movie? Oh, yeah. That was, that's, I mean, I'm an actor myself. So working with actors and casting is my most favorite uh, part of the process. And uh, definitely I, I wanted to just be so picky when it came to casting and, um, and just really have authentic people like from Mexico. Like every actor is Mexican except for the, the few, the few odd white folks. Um, but uh, Barbara's character was the hardest one to cast by far. And um, we were just not really having much luck with uh, the character of Betty until I suddenly remembered. I'm like, wait a second. Maybe Barbara Crampton is a good choice. She's a little young and hot for the role. Right. But then again, she's going to be young and hot for the rest of her life. Um, but I was like, maybe there's something about her that we could do. Um, it's a different role for her, but who knows? And sure enough, she sent a self tape from, I think it was from her home and oh my God, it was so good. I was like, okay, done. Let's do it. Like it was perfect. It it just, it was too good, too good to be true. (laughs) Um, Very fitting then. Yeah. Very fitting. Right. And, uh, oh, she was so much fun. She was so much fun to work with. Yeah, and uh, the lead Martha is is fantastic as Marisol because uh, a lot of a uh, lot of range of emotions she has to go through uh, for the movie. Oh man, I made her go through a marathon. Like <laughs> poor girl, she gave birth like three times in the movie. Um, but yeah, she was so much fun to work with, Martha. She's um, you know, in Mexico, she's really known, very well known for a lot of. Um, more like comedies and romantic films. So it was really cool to see her in a different, in a different uh, type of role. And um, you know, what convinced me was her role on uh, Altered Carbon. Mm. I didn't even realize that was the same girl uh, until, uh, you know, I had to look, look more into her and her, her portfolio of work. And I was like, Oh my God, like, she can do it all, but and she's never done horror. So her passion for this movie was so prominent and very exciting that, yeah, I, it was meant to be. It was meant to be to work with her, and um, she killed it. Everyone killed it. Um, even yeah. Richard. Richard. Yeah, Richard's awesome, Asanto. Yeah. So funny. Like, I think his fans are gonna be so excited when he smiles in the movie because. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him smile in any other film. And in this one, I'm like, hello there, friend. And it's so, uh, it kills me. It kills me every time. (laughs) And and, uh, Sal Lopez is is, uh, the coyote character. uh, He's great. Yeah. Sal was a very, very professional actor, very into it. And uh, everybody was so much fun. Every single cast was. was really into it. Um, like at one point, you know, because they were all Mexican um, background, uh, you know, very soon in the in the filming process, 
I was directing in both languages. I was literally directing the cast in Spanish. And I would turn around and tell the crew, oh, by the way. And I, and I would tell them in English wow, what we're doing. Yeah. And that, that really happened very, very naturally, very organically. It wasn't planned. Uh, and it was very cool to do that. Like all the cast really felt so involved and invested in such a story. And uh, it, it was fun. It was it was a fast paced shoot, but it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so obviously the cast would be bilingual for the roles, but uh, were the uh, were the crew the same way? Since you said you're you're directing both uh, English and Spanish, depending on the scene. Sorry, repeat that one more time. Um, so, you know, obviously the 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 cast would be bilingual uh, for the roles, but since you said yeah. you would be um, directing and sometimes in English, sometimes in Spanish, uh, were, was the was the crew bilingual as well? Nope, <laughs> not all of them. There was, I mean, there was a few uh, Latin people on the crew, like from hair and makeup, uh, here and there, but uh, mostly English, English-speaking people. So it was definitely like trading both sides, like uh, speaking in another language. Like, I mean, the people you were close closest with as a director on set, uh, most of the time is your cinematographer and the, and the first AD that you're communicating constantly with. And I'd be directing in Spanish and they would look at me like, what are you saying? I'm like, Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was very funny how that yeah. came down, but I think they all learned quite a good amount of swear words at some point <laughs> in Spanish. So uh, that's yeah. always important. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. That's always yeah. a bull. You need to know the swear words. Yeah, all right. So, uh, to, for a devil's advocate question, uh, did it ever come up the idea that you could potentially be splitting the audience uh, for a movie about the subject matter, where uh, there's going to be a certain amount of people that either won't want to watch it or won't like it uh, because of what it's about? I, I think so. And I mean, for any movie out there, whatever it is about, you can never please everybody. Like that's kind of part of the job as a filmmaker. You're not going to make a movie. Everybody's going to like, you know, that's kind of, you, you, you know that, but for something of this topic, it definitely will divide people. Um, you know, I, I make fun of the president very clearly in the movie. I even dress our villain Creed Braden. I dress him like, like the president, you know, like, you know, I'm not I'm not going to be quiet about it. So I, you know, it's almost like you expected. I was expecting and man, I've gotten a lot of a lot of interesting uh, responses. I don't want to say hate, but right. I've got a lot of interesting, you know, right side and left side opinions. Right. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I read this tweet uh, a few days ago that was someone watched the movie and and said you know, they like tweeted it towards Hulu and said, uh, you know, at the end of the tweet, like of the tweet, it said, this is why we need the damn wall built and all these things. I was like, oh, my God, like I didn't really think this movie could create such such a passionate response, such as that one specific one I read. Yeah. But you know what? I think that's a good sign because then it just means that we, we did our job. You know, the cast and crew, myself, we did our job of making something that people 
have a feeling after, you know, it's, it's kind of like your goal as a filmmaker. If you make people watch a movie and they respond a certain way, good or bad, at least you make them respond. Because how yeah. easy you can walk out of a movie and be like, eh. <laughs> yeah, it's better than a shoulder shrug, I guess. Oh, it, of course. Yeah. yeah. Any type of emotional uh, reaction, yeah. uh, good or bad, exactly as you said, is much better than uh, that's what art should be, not even just movies, but art in general. Totally, totally. And the subject matter, I mean, it's it's very important. What we're going through is so it's so ugly right now. And uh, it was, uh, you know, that was one of the, the bigger things that uh, I really wanted to change on the script was to be as in your face about it as possible, like as, as much as we can uh, and not be so vanilla about it. You know, if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's why Get Out is so good. Is it yeah. ju- it just goes balls to the walls in your face about the situation. <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't at all care about crossing the line. And I think that's powerful. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think do you think that's why it really is important that uh, like a movie like this uh, needed um uh, a Latin uh, director or a Mexican director, because uh, then you are going to go all out with it and you're not going to have conflicting uh, thoughts like, well, maybe I shouldn't because, but it's something that's personal to you. So, you know, you're going to go all out with it. Uh, for sure. It, it, look, I think that's definitely how the film industry fortunately is, is very much continues to change. And I, and I can't wait to see it change further, but, we're really considering and recognizing the voices that are meant to tell these stories that are made for these kinds of stories with the background of these kinds of stories. Right. And uh, so the more diverse and uh, more inclusive we can be, I think that's how we are going to make not just better stories, but, but also challenge audiences to watch these kinds of movies. Um, You know, I think, uh, spoon feeding audiences with simple stuff. It's not, it's not because the audiences is, it, it, they are what carry our movies. So if we're not challenging them with authentic, real, mature films, then what's the point, right? Um, so I think, I think it's very important to definitely have people of that descent be in a higher up position, in a creative position. Um, I think for a movie like this, too, I think it really helped being an outsider completely. I haven't been I haven't lived back in Mexico in a while. I've been here in Vancouver and I've never and I don't live in the States. So I've been really watching all this from outside. And I think that really, really helped because, uh, you know, if we watch the movie carefully. I don't really uh, I don't really take one side or the other. I yeah, just kind of. Say it as it is, you know, and even, um, you know, the main character's story. And I show an unfortunate dark past that she goes through, you know, that happens in Mexico, that happens in all over the world, that there's violence towards women. You know, it's, it's, you know, didn't want to be like, oh, poor Mexico, like, let's just pity them. But, you know, danger happens there, too. Danger happens everywhere. That's what Um, I like so much about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's good. Thank and you. I also think it's one of the best lines in the movie. Um, when uh, 
so I can't I don't I can't quote exactly, but paraphrasing was like uh, something so uh, wonderful came out of something so uh, ugly or something so uh, horrible. Yeah, yeah. She says something like, uh, "I didn't expect from something so horrible the most beautiful thing could come out of it." Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and a that's great. Mm-hmm. great. Oh, that's great. I tried to do as many like memorable quotes as possible. (laughs) I think, I think Creed's line is my favorite. I'm so happy they put it on the trailer because it just, Oh, that one hit me so hard. That was like the one scene I was so stoked to film was when he says, I'm not paying you to give them the American dream. We're paid to keep them out of it. And I was like, wow. Like I was like, this is the line. Like I remember since prep, I was like, this is the trailer line. Like I was, I was always freaking out over that line until the day came and uh, it, it was fun. And also Creed, man, like he's so funny in the office and seeing him as a bad guy was really cool. Like, yeah. He's so nice. And he just was not, she's like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Gigi. I, I'm not bad guy. Like Creed, just, Go for it. You can do it. You know, it, it was so fun. Oh, he's yeah. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's perfect. And um, uh, how did the premiere go in L.A.? Good. Oh, my God. I can't recommend enough that festival of Etheria. Um, it was amazing. It was such a overwhelming feeling because um, true fact, um, my very first short film, the very first short I ever made, Back when I was 19, called uh, Dead Crossing. You can find it on on YouTube. It's a zombie short. Um, was that Etheria was the first festival I ever um, went to. Was my first school that uh, that's where I showed my first feature. Like to come back 10 years later with the feature. Um, it was it was such an, a beautiful feeling and. Uh, almost sold out like we're talking i think i think the egyptian theater sits 600 people maybe a little bit more and it was packed like only the first couple rows were empty and i was like oh my god like when i got (laughs) on stage to introduce the movie i forgot my whole introduction i memorized i just it just disappeared i don't know how they do it in the oscars like i just it just boof like biggest brain fart it was gone yeah. <laughs> I just remember saying, I'm out of breath. Uh, enjoy the movie. <laughs> I, I didn't know what else to say. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't even sit beside my parents. I just went to the very top and just was standing and leaving, standing and leaving. I was like, I can't do this. This <laughs> is so many emotions. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really awesome. So I I loved all your shorts leading up to this too. I always liked uh, loved your work, and um, so how I guess that prepares you to do a feature. But how how different was it to to make a feature film? How how much of a bigger process was it? Oh man! Well, now we're talking a lot of pressure because now we're talking somebody else's money, <laughs> so, right? Right? Like that's already like, and the fact that you have a budget. I mean, from the indie world. As we all know, a budget is one of our biggest struggles to have. Um, but it's also a huge, huge advantage because we learn how to problem solve and we learn how to make things with nothing. So, you know, on a lower budget film like this one, 
I felt very ready and very confident with a lot of the the things that I'm like, no, we, we can do this. And, uh, you know, after making, I think I have, I think I have 18 shorts by now, but after making that many shorts, like with my, with my company, my team, Luchagor Productions, I felt so ready. I was like, I know how to do this for cheap. Like I, I know how to, how to handle this. And, uh, uh, I felt really excited, but don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's a very different process. It's very, it's much bigger and, and definitely there's a lot of people that you have to talk to now. There's a lot of people that you need to have an answer for quick, quick, quick. Like you need to be on your feet at all times, right? Cause there's a lot of people relying on you. Um, uh, but, but at the same time, one of the be- best changes is that now you have people to do things for you. Now you have the people to trust and, and help you get your vision out there. You don't have to can really focus on just directing and just writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to do it again. Uh, of course, I can see why filmmakers need a vacation after each project. <laughs> now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the change is so different. But again, like, I do miss indie filmmaking. I do miss... Uh, I hope to do another Luchagor short or something like that because mm-hmm. you have, um, you know, you have full control of what you want to make and you can make things smaller, quicker. At the same time, I think the most beautiful thing about Blumhouse and that I recommend to all starting out filmmakers in the genre is to go for Blumhouse because those guys, they just let you do your thing. And that's not very common for a studio and and those guys they are just like set you free they just let you fly um and help you with great crew great facilities great everything but your creative freedom is yours and that's really really cool so i really feel that that i made culture shock my own like it it does feel like a gg film and that's that's i couldn't ask for anything better than that and up I mentioned, you know, it's on Hulu, obviously. Was it always to be part of the Into the Dark series for Hulu? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. So, um, I loved it, and uh, most of my friends have loved it. Uh, Michael and Sophia, they were talking about it. That's how I heard about it. And I hope people check it out on Hulu. And I I hope you make some more shorts, too, because I I do dig your shorts. Oh, thank you. Definitely, we have some good news with our short film that everyone's waiting for it to be available with El Gigante. <laughs> so oh, that's very good. Soon. Yeah, so that's soon. If you if you stay uh, stay put, we we have some announcements for that to finally be out in the world. Uh, the short that everybody loves. Um, right. So yeah, stay yeah. tuned for that. Yeah. As a lifetime uh, horror movie fan and pro wrestling fan, uh, I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a win-win, then. <laughs> so, uh, how can people follow uh, Lucha Gore and yourself to see what's uh, what's coming up? Definitely. Well, I am all over social media as Horror Guerrero or Gigi Sal Guerrero. I swear, there's nobody else with my name, so you can find me <laughs> very easily on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for Lucha Gore Productions, same uh, Lucha Gore on 
Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we are constantly uh, keeping to speed, keeping up to date with um, with all the cool projects coming up. We have a lot of cool stuff uh, lined up for the next year. So we're excited. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can definitely follow us same on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We have a lot of great projects lined up for the next year. So stay put. Thanks. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always great to talk to you, and I love watching uh, the stuff you get out there. Great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Have a good night. Yep, have a good one. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Buenas noches. (laughs) Bye-bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Where, where we should have listened. The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. Hi, this is Camille Keaton of I Spit on Your Grave, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Danny Hicks of Evil Dead 2, Darkman, The Intruder, and lots of other cool stuff. It's very cool to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. What did you say? The station for decapitation? The station of decapitation, yes. Oh, stupid. Well, okay, that's that's pretty cool. I, no. I like it. I'm in. I'm yeah. in. All right, good, good. You're not going to hang up. That's good. Uh, no, stuff. I'm not going to hang up. Right. No, well, not right away. I'll wait until you offend me. <laughs> right. It's only happened once. So I think it's a <laughs> All right, pretty can good you tell me who that was? It was. Who hung the, up on you? The Iron Sheik. I don't know if you know the professional wrestler, the Iron Sheik. Uh, I remember the original Sheik, but uh, no, oh, for, this guy I don't like, know. Oh, like from Michigan? The guy who had, like, fire? Yeah. And, oh, yeah, cool. No, this yeah. was... And, I know, okay, I know. I, well, I was just saying, it's a little before we talk, but I do know who the original Sheik is. But uh, the mm-hmm. Iron Sheik was um, he's from Iran. He was the guy who Hulk Hogan beat to become uh, the champion for the first time. Ah, okay. All right. Now, for me, wrestling goes back to Dick the Bruiser days back in Detroit when I was a kid. So ah. Dick the Bruiser and, and uh, the Sheik and all those, those lunatics. So. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, we we're not going to talk about. Well, we might talk about wrestling. I don't know. But we'll get there. But uh, <laughs> well, you did want... it's going to be a very one-sided uh, conversation because <laughs> I don't know much about it. <laughs> All right, we'll just talk about Detroit. But the the uh, you didn't want to mention about your voice, so uh, start with that. Yeah. Okay. I just want to uh, make sure that the people listening know that this really is Danny Hicks. I might sound a little different, but that's because I got about eight pounds of titanium in my neck. Uh, I had surgery a couple of years ago to fix the vertebrae in my neck, and it's uh, uh, it's kept me from becoming a quadriplegic, but it's oh. really messed with my voice and and uh, other stuffs. But uh, you know, I'm I'm able to sit up and take nourishment, so uh, I'm ready. It just uh, it really messes with my voice sometimes, and people. 
People don't think it's really me, but trust me, it is. I looked in the mirror just to make sure this morning. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say uh, you know, uh, why you needed the surgery? Well, I, I broke my neck in a car accident when I was oh, like I 16 years old and never got it fixed correctly. So by the time I was 45, it, it, uh, it deteriorated to the point where I needed uh, I, I was in a car accident when I was 16 and I never got my neck. I broke my neck and I never got it repaired correctly. So by the time I was 45, I had to have surgery to put a plate in there to fix a couple vertebrae. And then by the time I was 65, uh, all the vertebrae in my neck had reached a point where, you know, just one good bump would uh, sever my spinal cord, either kill me or cause me to become a quadriplegic. So I went through this massive surgery and now I've got more metal in my neck than I do in my 2016 Mustang. So, um, and you know, it, it's me. Uh, and everything's good. It's just sometimes it really affects my my voice. So yeah. trust me, people, it's still me. All right. I have a serious question about that. Um, when you went to get the surgery to get the plates in your neck, and uh, did you know going in it would affect your voice? And did that, um, being an actor, did that did that scare you at all? Well, it, it, the whole thing scared me. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, I mean, the surgery actually took two days. And then they kept me in a coma for like three days after that because I, they couldn't get me to start breathing again on my own. Uh, but yeah, I, the surgeon talked to me about it and I knew my voice was going to uh, be affected. How badly, we didn't really know. Uh, but I really didn't have a choice. I mean, it, sure. it, the vertebrae it deteriorated to a point where one good bump would have severed my spinal cord. I mean, it was really awful. So yeah. we talked about it and I didn't really have any choice. So... Uh, I said, go ahead and cut me, Doc. Yeah. Did that uh, ever affect uh, you during your acting career, um, not having the, the neck fix? Like, did you, I don't know if you ever took, if you ever did like any of your own stunts in any of the movies or how physically demanding they were? Um, yeah. It, uh, the thing that affected me most was I was in pain so much of the time. Um, it got the pain got horribly bad. In fact, I still have the pain. Unfortunately, the surgery didn't fix it. But uh, yeah, um, I, I did most of my well, not most of my own stunts, but I did a lot of my own stunts. And there was one time in particular, I can't remember what movie it was, but I was supposed to be uh, fighting the Frankenstein monster, and I ran up and jumped on on him, and and I was supposed to just bounce off of him which is what I did, but I didn't expect to bounce off him as far as, as I did. And I ended up going off the mats and landing right on the back of my head. And I remember I had this huge, like electrical flash that went through my body. And I thought, Oh fuck, I'm done. I shouldn't yeah. have done that, man. Cause I really thought I was paralyzed for a few minutes, but yeah, now we got up. Of course we had to do it again because the camera wasn't right or something. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, it did affect me, but, uh, you know, a lot of actors put up with stuff that, that they don't want to, but they have to, because that's what they do for a living. And it's what they love to do. Yeah. You just mentioned Frankenstein. I mentioned, you know, horror movies when we started the show. Um, are you a horror movie fan? And, and if not, like, how did you find yourself in horror movies? Well, actually, you know what? No, I, I'm not a horror movie fan. I, sorry, guys. I, I don't mean to tell you that. I'm, sure I'm not a real big movie fan. Okay. Uh, I'd much, I'm, I'm kind of a book guy. 
uh, I'd much rather read a good book than watch a good movie. Although, of course, I've watched a lot of good movies and thank God for good movies or, or thank God for bad movies. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I found myself uh, getting into the whole acting thing just kind of by accident. Uh, I went on stage one night almost as a dare, just in a tiny little thing that somebody asked me to do at the Farmington Players Barn in Farmington, Michigan. And I went up there and I did this tiny little thing. And, and this very attractive woman came up to me afterwards and she says, you know, uh, I run the YMCA down the street. we got a hot tub. Let's go get naked. I said, hmm, you know what? A guy could get laid doing this. <laughs> and that's how I became an actor. Uh-huh. And, you know, so that's what started it off for me. So, yeah. And the horror movies just happened because the first feature film I did uh, was Evil Dead 2. I'd never done a feature film before. I mean, uh, I'd been an, a professional actor for about five years, and I'd done all kinds of stage work. I'd been on stage for five years, and I'd done a lot of radio, tele, television commercials, radio commercials, and a whole ton of industrial films, hundreds and hundreds of those, which uh, that's, especially for the automotive companies, uh, if they got to change a bumper on a, you know, a new car or something, they'll do a film showing people how the correct way to do it. So I did lots and lots and lots of those. So, uh, but the first feature film I did was evil dead too. And I just kind of got stuck in the horror genre, which was fine with me. I had a lot of fun making the movies. Yeah. So, so, all right. So you get a, uh, you find out that, uh, you know, Hey, I can get uh, women uh, doing this acting. Once you're in a feature movie, what was that like? As far as, uh, uh, that was, Oh, that was even better. Yeah. <laughs> that was even better of a stage cuz yeah. It um the when I did Evil Dead 2, the first day on the set, I said this is what I want to do. This is so much more fun than working on stage or doing any of the other stuff that I've been doing. It um believe it or not, it's so much easier. I mean, you don't have to I don't even know how to say this, but working on stage is hard, hard work. Mm-hmm. And usually, you know, if you're successful at it, you're rehearsing one play while performing, doing eight performances a week of another play. So, you know, it's a six day a week job and you work hard. Uh, and with feature film work, it's completely different. I mean, especially with somebody, a director like Sam Raimi, where you might, you might shoot, uh, it, a half a page in a whole day, you know, it, so it's, it's just, it's the best way in the world to make a living is doing feature film work. So how did you get the part in evil dead Two? Uh, I auditioned for it. Um, uh, even though we're, we were all from the Detroit area, Sam and, and, and Bruce and Rob, I didn't know those guys. Uh, they were kind of, they were movie people and I was a stage guy. And at the time, uh, the two never crossed. I mean, it was like, it was like a, almost like some kind of invisible wall between stage and, and film. <laughs> so my uh, agent called me and said, they're looking for this guy. They're looking for a guy in the character description is Scuzz Bucket. I said, huh, well, I could probably do that. So I went into the audition and that morning I, I got up and I put these old, just filthy bib overhauls I had on. I opened up the engine compartment of my car. 
I took a handful of grease and stuff from around the engine and combed my hair with it. I hadn't shaved for three or four days. So I rubbed this stuff all over my face. <clears throat> and then I went into the audition and uh, Sam was there. He was behind the camera. And I said, you got, you want a scuzz bucket? I said, how scuzzy, how scuzzy do you want him? He said, as scuzzy as you can make him. So at the time I had a partial plate. So I pulled my partial plate out, grinned right into the camera. And I said, you want him this scuzzy? And he said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, oh, my God, an actor without an ego. <laughs> so that's how I got the part. Yeah. And I found out many years later <laughs> that he had already auditioned the part in Los Angeles and in New York. And they couldn't find anybody that they really wanted to do the role of Jake. So uh, they, they thought, well, you know, we're in Detroit. We're prepping for it. Uh, let's audition it here. And so I got the audition part. But it turned out that if if they wouldn't have found me, Sam Raimi was going to do the part himself. Oh, really? He was going to direct and play the part of Jake. So I took a role away from him. So there's Sam. <laughs> do you think, uh, you think being the stage director helped uh, in particular for Evil Dead 2 since um, it's really over the top and the acting is, is like big? And that's, I would think that's more of like a stage acting in a way because you're, you're acting for a whole audience, people in the back, as opposed to usually movies where it's more subdued. Yeah, it, it, absolutely it did. Uh, uh, you, well, it, it, that was definitely a big plus on my side uh, because it, the whole thing was over the top. I remember reading the script and thinking, oh, my God, this they're really going to make this movie? I can't believe this. And then I got to the part where Ash takes the, the wastebasket and puts it over the top of the hand, the evil hand that's crawling around, and he puts a stack of books on top of it. And the camera pans back to reveal the title of the top book, and it's A Farewell to Arms. When I saw that, I thought, okay, now I know what he's doing. I got it now. I get it. Right. So, yeah, being able to be over the top was, was definitely a big plus for me. Yeah. So, uh, so did you... Did you get a lot? Well, you mentioned the audition, but like uh, making the movie stuff, I assume you got along really well with Sam Raimi since you worked with them, you know, a lot after that. Yeah, oh, I got along with him great. Uh, you know, it's funny because I, I did know Ted Raimi uh, because I cast him in a play that a friend of mine was directing and she asked me to help uh, with the casting of it. So I saw Ted Raimi audition and I said, God, give this guy a part. He's just a genius. And so she did. But, yeah, I got along great with him. And I'm still very good friends with Bruce and, and very good friends with Ted. Uh, Sam, I, Sam is, you know, he's up there in a different a different orbit. He, he orbits a little higher than the rest of us, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. But, so. Yeah. yeah. So, so did, did you know of the original Evil Dead at the time? or And if not, did you go and watch it then before uh, filming part two? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't think that would help me. Uh, yeah. I, I find actually that that doesn't help me. Like as a stage actor, I, I've done a couple of parts like uh, uh, the Rand plays Starbuck and the Rainmaker. Well, that's been done, I don't know how many times as movies. And 
I intentionally didn't watch those because I didn't want to wanted to to affect my performance. I I wanted to do it my own. Mm-hmm. So um, no, I, I didn't watch it. Yeah, because uh, you know, story wise, they're almost almost like uh, the same kind of movie, same movie, but they're much different in the. Evil Dead's much more of a comedy and much more over the top. Not that Evil Dead isn't, but uh, it was just inter- interesting. Yeah, and I, I, there's that whole battle that rages on forever about Evil yes. Dead 2 being a remake or a sequel or a prequel or what the hell was it? And here's my answer. Who the fuck cares? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know right. if anybody knows. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what does it matter, really? It, it, if, yeah. if you enjoy enjoy it. But I think yeah. it's uh, it's one of the rare sequels where not everyone likes it the best, but I do think uh, the majority of horror fans think it's the best of the uh, the trilogy. It's the best thing. Yeah, I find, too, especially on Facebook, uh, you know, people post their favorites, this and their favorite that. And I think the majority of them do think um, Evil Dead 2 is, is their favorite out of the, the four movies. Although I have to tell you, um, and this again, don't tell anybody I said this. So right. don't listen, people. <laughs> I like the remake the best. I, I like the, I like the remake too. Uh, it was uh, I know okay. some people are really anti remake, but uh, and I thought it was smart not to have Ash in the remake because you're not going to ever find someone who could do it as well or better. So just don't do the Ash character and make a different, yeah. movie, which I thought was very smart. Yeah, I thought it was just all in all an excellent movie. Yeah, yeah, and they and it's not as comedic. There is comedy, and it's a dark comedy, but not as over the top uh, comedic. Although I laugh like when people get their arms cut off and and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's very funny. Yeah, what happens yeah. to you? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, what was uh, Cassie Wesley like? Who plays uh, Bobby Joe in the movie? Oh, she's wonderful. She's still wonderful. I see her now. <laughs> for a long, long time. Excuse me for that. Yeah. I didn't see her for many, many years after we shot Evil Dead 2. And then she came to a horror convention in uh, Louisville. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just so wonderful to see her. And the one thing that pissed me off is she's even better looking now than she was then. <laughs> I said, how can you, you how can you do this? She just got more beautiful. And all I did was get old. So it, she's just wonderful. She's such a sweetheart. Yeah. And I see her now at these conventions every once in a while, and it's just so good to see her. Yeah. Well, when did you start doing the conventions? And um, were you always aware that Evil Dead too? Like, that's a. I would think you'd probably always do that. Had a big following, but did you know how much of a following until you started doing the conventions and got online? No, I, I didn't have any idea. In fact, it it took. I'm, I'm going to guess. I have 15 to 20 years before Evil Dead 2 did have a big following. Mm-hmm. The movie didn't do all that well when it was originally in the theaters. Uh, and then more than anything, by word of mouth, the movie got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Until now, it's, it's one of the biggest horror films ever made. In fact, in Europe, people consider it one of the best films ever made. Not horror films, but the best movies ever made, which I couldn't believe. But trust me, it's true. Yeah. And I, I had no idea that anything like that was happening. And then Bruce Campbell called me one day, and I can't remember where he was. I think he was in New York. I think he was in Manhattan. And he said, Danny, there are people selling your picture. 
if you don't get out here, they're, they're selling your picture for good money. If you don't start doing these, these conventions, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. So I thought, well, okay, I'll try it. So, uh, man, they're wonderful. And, and the best thing about doing the conventions is all the, all the fans. I mean, it is just so great to see and meet all these people who have actually made the movie what it is. I mean, we made Sam and I and, and, and Bruce and Rob Tappert, we made the movie. But the fans, and most of them weren't even born when we shot the movie in 1986. They're the ones that made the movie famous. And it, it's, just, it's just awesome. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, you said people weren't even born yet, because I like to go and watch old Siskel uh, and Ebert, because I grew up watching it. And so often there's movies on there that were big at the time, but like no one ever talks about them. Like, I don't even remember them. But then there's a lot of horror movies that uh, keep finding a new audience. Why do you think it is like uh, about uh, seems horror, especially? Well, you know, I actually think it has a lot to do with The Walking Dead. I think The Walking Dead became such a big hit television show that people started saying, hey, you know what? You know, maybe maybe horror movies aren't for just idiots after all. You know, maybe there's some good horror movies out there. And I honestly think that that's how it all started with The Walking Dead. Yeah. That's, people just said, it's okay to like horror. Yeah, it really did make uh, zombies and horror uh, mainstream because, like, you can go to Walmart and get to see like a Walking Dead shirt for like uh, kid sizes, you know. Which yeah. when I was a kid, you you know, it was very rare to to even know anybody else who were into zombie movies. But you could never <laughs> find a you know a zombie T shirt unless you was like in the Fangoria magazine you sent away for. Or right, right. Yeah, I think Walking Dead made it okay to like horror films. Yeah. So before, when you mentioned that you like uh, you like books, um, what kind of genre of books do you read, or does it? not matter the genre it doesn't really matter uh, as long as it doesn't try to educate me you know i just want something to entertain me and mm -hmm. like most people that watch movies they just they just want to watch a movie they you know they don't want to be educated about this or that or this standing or that standing or this point of view just entertain me that's all i want from a book so and i don't really care what genre it is as long as it's entertaining yeah Actually, since you mentioned Walking Dead, uh, Greg Nicotero did, uh, you know, effects on Evil Dead 2, went on to right. work. Uh, do you have any memories of him at the time and uh, doing doing the effects? I don't, did you have a lot of makeup in the movie, I guess? Not really. Mm, no, not really. Although, uh, Robert Kurtzman's a good buddy of mine. Uh, in fact, I just saw him not too long ago in Cleveland. So I, I would run into those guys every once in a while after Evil Dead because, uh, their their shop uh, K and B's when they opened their own uh, effects company, K and B was not too far from where I lived, so I would run into them every once in a while. Uh, especially Greg, I ran into Greg a lot at a bar that I used to go to. He'd come in there all the time, so we were buddies for a while. Then I kind of lost track of all those guys, and <laughs> then um, uh, at the conventions, I ran into Kurtzman, and we started being buddies again. So. Uh, that answered your question because I forgot. Which yeah. Question was. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that answers. Well, how about because uh, uh, you work with Bruce Campbell in the movie both as you know Ash and the evil Ash. So, like, uh, 
I guess, like, uh, how do they, uh, when you're filming that, do they do all the scenes of him in makeup, like, uh, certain days, and then do all the ones out of makeup other days? No, what, what they'll do mostly is, uh, when, when they shoot a feature film, they'll do it by location. Mm-hmm. So, like, they'll say, okay, we're going to shoot all of the interior cabin scenes that take place where you can see the trap door. So they'll shoot all of those scenes at that time. Um, so, you know, the script gets broken up and bounced all over the place, but that, that way they, you know, it doesn't take so long. You don't have to set the cameras up. Mm -hmm. You know, you set the camera up for just that scene and then you shoot every scene that's in the movie that takes place on that set. So, uh, the, the worst thing about working with, uh, evil ash were those opaque contact lenses. Because yeah. he couldn't see. I mean, what's happening wrong, too? In fact, Teddy broke my nose when he had to reach up and grab me by the face at one point. And he he wow. misjudged it by about six inches and just smacked me in the nose so hard. <laughs> there was real blood on the set. Yeah. But oh, okay. that that was the scariest thing about uh, the evil Ash thing was uh, those contact lenses. Yeah. So when you saw the finished movie, uh, what did you think of it? I didn't like it, <laughs> but uh, let me tell you, first of all, I have to explain something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big movie fan anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, any movie that I'm in is awful. I don't care what it is. I hate it because I don't like to see myself on camera. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I'm one of those actors that, that really doesn't like to see myself on film. So uh, yeah, I was not a big fan of the movie. I, I'm still not a big fan of the movie. I'm a big fan of the fans of the movie. Sure. Although I do have to say, um, there's a, well, it's not new anymore, but um, Synatch Film released uh, Intruder, uh, a Blu-ray version of Intruder. Uh, and I actually enjoyed that. I hadn't seen it for years and years and years. And a friend of mine made me sit down and watch it with him. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it was very good. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot, too. I just watched it yesterday. Um in preparation uh, for for the interview, and uh, I dug it a lot too. It's uh, it was a real fun, uh, you know, eighty slasher. Uh, all those all the kills yeah. are fun, and uh, I like the um, I like the kind of the da, 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 da music anytime. Like the uh, the kind of the sleazy guy with the uh, with the mullet shows up that you uh, assume is the killer. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that that poor movie. Uh, it was Empire Pictures that originally produced it. And for reasons known only to them, they sold it to Paramount Home Video. And Paramount Home Video cut that movie so bad. I guess they were trying to get, you know, the kids to watch it or something. And it definitely was not a kid's movie. Not at that time, at least. Uh, so the movie was, was cut so bad it didn't even make sense. So that movie never had a chance. Uh, People are discovering it now. And they're saying, wow, what a great movie. Where has it been? How come nobody's ever seen it before? Well, the reason nobody had ever seen it before is because Paramount Pictures killed it. That's why. Yeah. It's always weird to me that they even make a horror movie that you know is like in a a slasher or a gore movie and then uh, cut out the gore or cut out a lot of the stuff so it's no longer really what you set out to make to, to begin with. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And the, the worst I've ever seen in that case is Intruder and what Paramount on video did to it. It was just, it, the movie literally didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm glad Synapse. Well, and, you know, other companies have released it too, but not as big a release as Synapse did with it. And I'm glad they did that because they kind of saved the movie. Yeah. So did you, did you, uh, I assume you met Scott uh, Spiegel who, uh, who made um, <clears throat> Intruder uh, uh, working on Evil Dead too? I actually, I met Scott Spiegel auditioning for Evil Dead 2. Oh, okay. He was there, uh, and I, I, yeah, it was, the audition was at my agent's office, so I pretty much knew all the people that she represented, and uh, Scott was there. And I says, you know, hi, I'm Danny X, who are you? And he says, I'm Scott Spiegel. And I says, well, what are you here for? And he told me he was auditioning for the part of Jake. And I said, really? How'd you get the audition? He says, well, I kind of co-wrote the movie. And I said, well, yeah, okay, like, like I'm sure as hell going to get this part now. You know? right. The guy that wrote the movie is auditioning and they're going to give it to me. So I didn't think I had any chance of getting the movie, but that's how I met Scott. And then yeah. uh, he was on the set quite a bit. And he actually enjoyed my performance and he enjoyed watching me work so much that he went back and rewrote the part of Bill Roberts and Intruder specifically for me to wow. get me to do the movie, yeah, which was kind of silly. And they still made me audition for it 10 times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's producers. They just made you, they like to make the actors jump through hoops. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, uh, like how the character changed at all? I don't know how, like if you read the, the original script. You know, I don't, but there's actually a, a movie out there someplace and I think it's called uh, Walnut Lake Market that was made back in the days when Sam and, and, and Scott and all those people were shooting the Super 8 films. Mm-hmm. So there's some version of it out there, and I'm sure people are going to let you know what it is now. But I, I can't remember the name of it. So, But I know that they did like a smaller version of it, you know, like like there are of the Evil Dead movies floating around out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, this time you have Sam, Sam Raimi's in the movie as an actor. Uh, what do you think yeah. of him as an actor? He's good. He's not bad. He's not as good as his brother, Ted. Yeah. Ted's one of the best actors I've ever worked with. But Sam was all right. He um, got a little talky. And at one point, he, had, he pushed his way around a little bit in a scene that uh, he wanted to put something in that I didn't think was real necessary. But that was between him and the director, so... Yeah. You know, I didn't have much to say about it, but I didn't think it was necessary. And I think it disrupts the flow of the scene. But he's good. He's a good actor. He's a good, solid actor. Yeah. I noticed watching it uh, recently that him and Tim, uh, him, yeah, they both, uh, him and Ted, both look a, a lot alike at that point in time. Yeah, they did. They did kind of look similar. Yeah. And older brother Ivan looks just like Sam. Oh, really? It really gets confusing when he's around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, all right. Are they are they different? Um, how similar are they, uh, Sam and Ted? Very similar, very very similar. In fact, um, Ted not only is Ted a great actor, he's also a very very good director. Uh, I worked with him on a tiny little. Well, he did a series of movies for uh, Morbid Minutes, uh, and he come. He asked me to come out and, and do this little tiny. He, he was telling horror stories 
in 30 seconds. So he says, come out here. You can sell this in 30 seconds. Now come out and do this. So I did. And it was just, it, it reminded me so much of working with Sam, who, who is without a doubt the best director I've ever worked with. Uh, it really reminded me uh, of working with Sam. And it was uh, a lot of fun to do that with him. Yeah. And uh, he's also a very sharp dressed man whenever I see him at a convention. <laughs> yeah. When he, when he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you ever put on the uh, the overalls for a convention? No, I've never All done right. that. All right. It would be a good photo op. Get the, 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 yeah. get the teeth out and then the overalls. <laughs> no, but you know what? I was in Chicago at uh, one of the conventions not too long ago, and they had the facade of the cabin. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. So And there was a guy dressed up as Jake. So I walked up to him. I said, Hey, you want to take a picture with me? He says, sure, but I got to charge you five bucks. <laughs> okay. They gave him the five bucks? Yeah, no, I, yeah hell yeah. He had no idea who I was. <laughs> so that's that was pretty awesome, fun. actually. <laughs> so, uh, 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 by the way, about conventions, this October is one coming up, uh, Dark Side in uh, Riverside. And I was checking out the website, and I know you have a lot of cool um, I guess It has a lot of, uh, a lot of neat events, so... Uh, I think that sounds like a good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing it. Um, it's it's a first-time convention, and unfortunately, a lot of first-time conventions don't do very well, uh, mainly because they don't advertise very well because to advertise is expensive. Uh, but it looks like they're really putting some time and effort and money into promoting this thing. So I, I'm really looking forward to it, and I, I'm going to be there at, at the Fearsome Figures booth signing autographs. So if you're anywhere in Southern California, and you know what, if you're anywhere within 2000 miles, come and see sure. me. Okay. Yeah. yeah cool. It's a, it's a new world. It's easy. It's, you know, it's easy to get around across the country now. Yeah. Yeah. They got airplanes and everything. They go they real do. fast. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I they heard do. about, I heard about maybe one of these days I'll get on one. I've heard about them. Oh yeah. Get them on. They're a lot of fun. They're yeah. a lot of fun. They give you peanuts too. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So what? Uh, so uh, I met, I saw John Dugan, a uh, uh, mutual friend of ours. He asked a question on, on Facebook. So uh, I assume you get to meet John uh, on the convention scene. Yeah, John and I are pretty good buddies. Yeah. So he he wanted to know if if you still wear uh, women's panties. <laughs> and, all right, John Dugan. I am still wearing the women's panties, and don't worry. As soon as I get these dirty enough, I'm going to mail them to you like I promised. So hang in there, John. Hang in there. <laughs> he'll, be very, he'll be a very happy man. <laughs> do, you, do you have any good John Dugan stories that I guess you, you, you're comfortable telling? Sure. Well, I used to tease him just horribly because uh, even though I'm older than him, he looks older than me. So I used to just tease him unmercifully, you know. And in fact, one time I was all the way across the, the convention center, and I just said, why the fuck did you have the common decency to die before you got small? <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff I used to do, do with him. And now um, John's battling cancer. Well, I think yeah. he's, well, I don't want to say it one way or another, but yeah, I think he's, he's had a rough time. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So God bless you, John Duke. You know I love you. Lots of people out there rooting for Grandpa, buddy. Yeah, he's a man. I haven't seen him for a while. It's weird. I've never met you at a convention. I've met John millions of times, but I've not uh, met you before. 
Uh, where are you located? I forgot. You know, I'm in you Ma- yeah. I forgot. That's all right. I'm in Massachusetts. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really done one around you. Yeah, there's, there's not really a lot of them uh, in uh, in New England. Uh, well, there's a couple yeah. now in Connecticut and stuff, but uh, like, there's only really one that they they say Boston, but it's like they always do it at the conventions. They'll say it's like in Atlanta and it's like in some right. some little little town outside of Atlanta, which is fine, right. whatever. But right. uh, it's Rocket Shock in uh, in Worcester, which is very far away from Boston, but everyone people say Boston area, but. It's like an hour and a half away, but but it, it, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I think that's the only one I know of that's in Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm sure I haven't done that one. So, hey, guys, if you're listening, I want to come to Boston. Not, but, you know, close to Boston. So bring me out there. Yeah, yeah exactly. So when I was watching The Intruder, there's a scene I noticed. Uh, so she spits in your face. And then uh, your character licks your face, which I find very funny in the movie. But I'm just wondering what's what. I hope she didn't really spit in your face. Well, what's used for? The, do you remember what was used for the spit? I I don't remember what was used for the spit, but yes, she did spit in my face. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> but I don't know if that was the take where I actually licked it. I don't think it was. Uh, but she did spit in my face. You know, for one camera angle, she actually okay. had to spit. <laughs> So yeah, she spit in my face, which was okay. I mean, right. <laughs> I just I swap worst bodily fluids with people. You know? <laughs> right. so, More John Dugan stories. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember exactly what they used for the, when I I licked the spittle off my face, but I don't remember. In fact, you know what? I don't think that was in the script. I think we just put that in there. Oh, me licking it. She just goes, oh, okay, I thought I meant it wasn't in the yeah. script, she spits on you, she just gets mad. And like, oh. oh, yeah, no, that was in the script, but me licking it, I don't think it was in the script. Well, it really adds some scene, I, I found it very funny. So, uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> now I've been thinking about, since you said about the neck and stuff, because uh, at the beginning of the movie, you're, you you have a like a brawl, and you, you fall down and stuff, so I assume that was really you, it wasn't like a stuntman? No, that was really me. Uh, the scene where I'm running across the cash registers, the checkout stands, I did one half of that take. Uh, I got up and started running across the booth and I tripped and fell and cracked a bunch of ribs. So I said, stunt man, get my stunt out. <laughs> so I didn't do the rest of that scene. So yeah, that's a really cool scene. Thing. But yeah. I was wondering that too. I was like, that's pretty dexterous, I think, to be running across the counters here. Now that I started to do it, and then I fell uh, myself, so to get my stunt man, and I, he was a great stunt double too, and I can't remember his name right now. Shame on me, mm-hmm. but he was very good. He was very good. Yeah. So uh, how about uh, when you make a maniac cop, which uh, I'm a fan of? Uh, what was William Lustig like? He was all right. I mean, I didn't really have much to do with him um, because I had such a small part in, in uh, the film. But I, I, one thing I do remember him doing was. Uh, in the movie, I, of course, arrest Bruce, and I pick him up, and I'm slamming into him into the side of the paddy wagon. And we did the first take, and you know, he said, that was great. That was wonderful. He says, well, we're going to do it again. Danny, I want you to slam him into the van harder. I said, Bruce, are you okay with this? He said, sure. So take two. I'm slamming him into the van. The damn van is rocking on its wheels, you know? <laughs> And Bill said, that was great. We're going to do it again a little bit harder. 
I thought, oh my God, I'm going to kill this poor bastard. And Bruce said, no, it's it's okay. So, man, I, I think I'm the only actor in history that's made a career out of beating the shit out of Bruce Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what I remember about William Mustang. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so you said, so you're doing all the... Uh, uh, the horror movies and uh, Dark Man. I think. Do you think Dark Man's kind of before its time? Because years later is really when the superhero movies blew up. Yeah, it was definitely before its time. Um, in fact, I got. I love Liam Neeson, but Bruce Campbell should have played that part. You know, it would have been perfect for him. But yeah, um, yeah, it was before its time. I mean, it, the world wasn't ready for superheroes yet, although. I think Darkman, uh, it might have started the, the superhero movie thing. Of course, the comic books have been out forever, but mm-hmm. um, I think it was, you know, the Superman movies, they'd been made before, but I think Darkman kind of kicked it off. Yeah, they were kind of, uh, like, he, they popped up here and there, like the 80s Batman and, and the, the two Superman, well, I was born too, but the two that were good. And then, yeah, I yeah. think that kind of uh, was the start of the like the modern superhero movies. Yeah, and, and there was some kind of legal problems that Sam had uh, with the show too. It, I don't know, I, you know what? I can't remember what it was, but it, I think he wanted to call it the Shadow, or he okay. wanted to do the Shadow. I think that's what it was, and he couldn't get the rights to do it, so he came up with Dark Man and did his own. Yeah, good well, for him. Yeah, what evil lurks in the heart of man? The shadow knows. The shadow knows. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to the old time radio shows now. So oh, nice. Yeah, I yeah. actually I enjoy listening to them now. Uh, I, I used to play them on the website, like a lot of the old uh, horror ones with like Vincent Price and oh, there's a, yeah. there it seems like um there's some that uh, people are doing like modern ones, but with that old take, which uh, I don't know, I, I yeah. enjoy. Yeah, but you know what? I can always tell the new ones. Uh, sure. Like the new Sherlock Holmes and stuff. And it just, it has, I mean, the accent's the same. The stories are the same. But it's just, I don't know. It's not 65 years old, so it doesn't sound right. I don't know. Right. Yeah, that, weird. it is weird when you make something to sound like, because when they were making it 65 years ago, they were trying to make it sound modern. But now it sounds old because right. it's from that era. They weren't trying to, like, right. hey, let's make this sound uh, quaint or, or, you know, whatever they're trying to do now. So. Why not just modernize it? Yeah, so I I think the old ones are better. Yeah, I do too. They're a lot of fun. So how? It's how, kind of funny. I'm going, I'm sorry. I was going to say one more thing about that. Dragnet, uh, without a doubt, one of the worst television shows in the history of the world. I mean, it is so awful. Jack Webb is the worst actor on the planet. My God, the guy couldn't even walk. I mean, anytime he got in front of a camera, the guy froze up so tight, he couldn't even move. But the radio show is wonderful. I mean, it's absolutely excellent. It's just that Jack Webb should have never gotten in front of a camera. I've never heard the uh, the Dragnet uh, radio show, actually. Oh, they're, they're wonderful. And that the music, that bum, 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 it just, ah. It's the, it, listen to him if you get a chance. You really yeah, enjoy. I would. Yeah, I would enjoy that, I think. So uh, um, your skeleton was in uh, Evil Dead. Uh, I mean, Asher's Evil Dead. Uh, were you ever asked to do like a cameo or anything on the TV show? No. Uh, that's what they asked me to do for the television show. Uh, they wanted to use a little clip 
from Evil Dead to uh, me, you know, the character Jake. <laughs> and then my skeleton down in the basement. And uh, that, that was, that's what they asked me to do because uh, it was just too expensive. They shot it in New Zealand. And to fly me out there, for example, or Cassie or any of those people, anybody, uh, it was just too expensive. Although they did, they did take uh, Ellen Sandweiss. She did go out there and work on a couple episodes. Uh, she was the only one because it was just cost prohibitive, you know, to fly somebody in New Zealand and put them up and all that stuff. It just cost way too much money. Yeah. So uh, I want to mention that uh, I mentioned Dark Side and Riverside. I'll put the the link on the website too, but it's uh, the Dark Side cool. and Riverside dot com. So right. That's easy to spell too. I think. And, and if you can't and, spell, uh, there'll be a link there. You can click it. I'm sorry. What okay. you and you got to you got to mention uh, fearsome figures. Yeah, fearsome figures. Fun. Very cool. Yeah. I'm gonna look those yeah. guys up. I assume they make uh, figures, and they're very fearsome. I assume so too. I, I don't really know. I mean, I've corresponded with them, and uh, that's about it. I've never met any of the people involved, so it will be a first time experience for all of us. Yeah. Did you keep? Did you ever keep any of the stuff uh, from the movies you made? Like, the, did you keep the original overalls or any, anything? I kept two things from Evil Dead Two, uh, and I gave them both away. I kept the ring that Jake wore. Don't tell anybody because I actually stole it. I, and the dog tags that okay. Jake wore, and and I gave them away. And uh, I don't know why I did that, but I did. So. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, you know what I what I usually keep from uh, movies or what I used to seeing as I'm now retired and I do one movie every two years or so um, is I get everybody that I can find to sign the script. So oh, I have a lot of scripts that everybody involved has uh, signed, and one of these days I'm going to auction them off for some kind of charity. Yeah, I've heard about which one. Yet. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, where can people follow uh, yourself on online? Not at your house. Where they can follow you? At, at well, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've had enough of that. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, I, well, just Facebook. That's it. I don't have a website because I, you know, it's not worth the time for me. Just uh, Danny Hicks fan page, and, and I, I just have a regular Facebook page too. So that's where that's where you can find me. And I, I post what I'm going to do there and when I'm going to do it and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. To keep people informed. Uh, do you prefer Danny or Dan? I assume Danny since on his Facebook. Well, that's that's another weird story. Uh, do you have time to listen to it? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. Well, my name is Danny Hicks. It's not Daniel. It's not Dan. It's Danny Hicks, and that's the way I signed every contract and everything I did with with Evil Dead Two, which was my first feature film, and for some reason. They listed me in the credits as Dan Hicks. Why they did that, I don't know. But it caused a lot of trouble for me because there was a singer, uh, uh, kind of like a country western jazz guy named Dan Hicks and his hot licks. And he had registered the name Dan Hicks. So he was actually going to sue me because he hated the movie. And people thought it was him. And he was getting people calling him and saying, what the hell is this stupid-ass movie you're in? <laughs> <laughs> he got really, really upset with me. So 
the Screen Actors Guild called me and said, why did you do that? Why did you use the name Dan? I said, I didn't. They did. It's their problem, not mine. Yeah. And I remember the, the woman I was talking to said, call this guy. He's up in San Francisco. Call him and talk to him. And it just so happened that I was a fan of his. I had like two of his, three of his albums. So I called him and talked to him and, and we squared everything up. But he was really pissed off because they used his name in that movie. <laughs> yeah. So after that, did you um, did you keep using Dan Hicks in, uh, or did you change it to Danny Hicks for, for the rest of the films? I know that my name uh, registered with the Screen Actors Guild is Danny Hicks. Okay. So I never used Dan Hicks. The only people that ever did that was was Rob Tapper and his his clerical crew. So I decided to change my name for me. So, but no, I've always used Dan Hicks. All right, yeah, because you're listed although, on IMDb although, as Dan Hicks. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I think there's two listings: one for Dan Hicks and one for Danny Hicks. Uh, I'm not really sure. I haven't looked at it in a long, long time. But somebody pointed that out to me. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm not really sure how all that stuff works. But I think everything I do, they just lump it into Dan Hicks, and and then some of it gets I I don't know I don't know how it works. But yeah, I know it it says that I've done like I don't know how, how many movies, but I've done like three times more than that that just aren't there because of that name problem. So yeah, anyway. Not that I've done much, but I, from my experience, it, it is hard to get things removed or changed on yeah. the IMDb page. Yeah, I never really tried. I mean, I, I did change it, you know, to make sure the Screen Actors Guild knew my, that my name was Danny Hicks and that I wouldn't be credited as Dan Hicks anymore. But I, people just do what they want to do, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate it coming on. I had a lot of fun talking to you. Well, thanks, man. It was fun talking to you, too. Yeah. And I look forward to meeting you sometime. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm coming out that way. And uh, um, uh, you do good work, son. You do good work. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Uh-huh.